welcome everyone uh be sure if you haven't already subscribe to the futuristic podcast to mark gerlach on itunes and visit us on patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search for the futuristic podcast of mark gerlach craig owens i'm delighted to have you here well thank you yeah thanks Good so to much be here um for coming on the show you do so many things uh you're a photographer uh, you publish the really cool Bizarre Los Angeles, uh, which is BizarreLA.com. Um, and you feature some really cool stuff on that site, history, bizarre stories, bizarre uh, bios of interesting people um, that are that are really cool. Uh, some that caught my attention was, there was the Armless Pilot. Oh, yeah. The tale of the Armless Aviatrix. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. How do you find some of these... Uh, well, I'm People. always look. Well, how bizarre Los Angeles started in the first place yeah. was uh, I was expecting my third child, and so I was like on call and at, at home, ready, ready to go to the hospital, mm-hmm. and I was going nuts. So I was thinking, what can I get? What can I do to get my mind off of this? And people have been telling me for years that you know I had a, a, a almost a, a oh. Photo, photographic memory. Funny, I forgot that word as I was searching <laughs> for it. But I had a wealth of knowledge inside my head. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, people have been wanting me to write this down anyway. So I just started posting things, and I didn't advertise. I just I didn't invite anybody. Right. I just started posting things that I knew about, and I was a little inter- I was interested in ghosts then. And at first, I was debating on whether it should be all paranormal all the time. But I decided, you know, there's so many different facets to what I like. It's not just all paranormal and ghosts. Not I love the ghosts. old the old Hollywood stuff. So I just started uh, just putting random stuff, forgotten stories. But I quickly ran out of things in my head. So I started searching. And how I usually search and find things, it's, it's random, as is my postings are kind of random and all over the place. It's mm. stuff that I just come across. And I came across a photo of a woman uh, with no arms standing outside of a biplane, and she yeah. had her little goggles on. And it was fascinating to me. I wanted to know the story behind the picture. Right. And so that's what I do with a lot of things that I find is I'm interested in the story behind the picture. I mean, anyone can post a picture and make up your own cute caption. But how many people actually, you know, go back and actually try to find more information on this person? So that's actually where my specialty kind of is because the Los Angeles Public Library... uh, they became aware that I was posting a lot of their photos, and I'm gonna. That's all right. That happens. I'm gonna put it on. Uh, I'm gonna put it 21st on. Twenty first century. Yeah. Well. Can't. I'm gonna just turn it off. Ah, no, it's fine. You can barely hear it. But uh, anyway, so they became aware that I was posting photos, and they were actually quite pleased with the information I was coming in. So they actually invited me to be one of their. Oh, I don't get paid for it, but one of their uh, researchers, mm-hmm. volunteer researchers. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's a good trade-off for all the photos that, you know, I've, I've posted from their site. Some of them I later licensed for my own book, mm. by the way. 
But, haunted, uh, haunted by history. Yes. I want yeah, to talk to you about that as well. So what I did is uh, I, I'm really good at identifying people from the past that aren't readily identifiable. And so the armless aviatrix was one of the photos that I thought was an interesting story, a sad story. Yeah. Because she was, I believe, born that way. And she came from a wealthy family, but she wanted to do something different with her life. And so she took up aviation. Right. And, and, and this is circa 30s? 40s? 1930s, yeah. yeah. I want to say early 1930s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wouldn't give her a pilot's license because of her handicap, even though she had her cockpit of her biplane rigged so that she could fly it without arms. Yeah. And so she decided that this is not fair. They were denying her a, a license because she was a woman and a handicapped woman on top of that. Mm-hmm. So while she was flying to Washington, D.C. to lobby Congress, she crashes and dies Jeez. in her plane. My so, God. you know, the it, it, it's almost like a bad example of dare to be different, dare to right. dream. Yeah. <laughs> Reach for the skies. Didn't work out. Didn't her. work out. <laughs> Didn't work out. In that case, I think it might have been best had she listened yeah. to, to the people it's telling her that it's not she wasn't idea. she wasn't ready. Yeah. Man, there's some um so cool story. Another captivating one for me was the lion tamers because there's that great photo on your website, uh, bizarrela.com, where he's in this pit with uh, lions and maybe bobcat, all these deadly animals. Right. And uh, he was like, you know, if they f- they sense my fear, I'm done. Yeah. Little do they know, I'm terrified. That that person's name is Dick Walker. Yeah, I can't and, think of it. And one of the great things about what I do is that I get contacted by family members of these people once I, I write about them. And in Dick Walker's case, I... I got a nice email from his, uh, I believe it's his adopted son. And he more or less filled in more information, but then he wanted me to do more research on his dad. And I tried, but I mean, I can only go so far in the newspaper archives. But I was able to find some stuff, but he was just thrilled that anyone would remember his dad. It's such an interesting hybrid of history merged with the photos, merged with the research uh, and the visual aspects of the history that you put together so well uh, on your site. Because you're, I, I didn't, I don't believe I mentioned in the beginning of the of, of the show, but you're also um, a photographer as right. well as a writer and many other things. Right. Well, I, you know, obviously with my own photo, photographic style, I, I tend to go vintage looking. Um, And so I'm inspired by these photos. I'm inspired by these stories and and kind of odd things that I come across. And and I'm as curious as, you know, I'd like to think I'm as curious as the next person as to what is the story behind this picture. And when I do my own photos, uh, I, if you notice, my photos tend to be a story within the picture too. Yeah. So I kind of leave it up to the people who see it to interpret it the way they want to but when i go and give presentations every now and then i'll tell you i'll tell everybody what the thought process was and what the photo why i took that photo the way i did Mm. how do you find these images random oh i i like i said i do it randomly one of the things that i used to do i need to get back into that is that i would go 
into the Los Angeles Public Library and I just pick a date. I just mm. type in search Los Angeles and then I put in August 23rd if, it, if today was August 23rd. In this case, it's November 1st. So yeah. today I would have typed in Los Angeles, November 1st. And then just scroll through all of the photos that pop up until something catches, catches my eye. eye. And then I went, hmm, I wonder what this this photo is about. And so I'll I'll post it. And there are certain locations that I'm particularly fond of, like the Ambassador Hotel and mm. the late great Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. And so sometimes if I come across a photo and I hadn't posted it before, I'll post it. Um, I try to make a point of crediting the photographer when available but if it's just an odd photo or something that i thought was uh that the people that follow me might enjoy mm. i'll do it sometimes the photos are kind of boring for that day so <laughs> i just try to pick the best one yeah. and then move on and then every now and then you know i'll stumble across um just a, a photo online you know searching for something else there the everything's like rabbit holes yeah. when it comes to history. So you step in one rabbit hole, you fall into another hole and then you fall into another hole and then it's, you know, Alice in Wonderland time. The research never ends. <clears throat> it just gets more interesting or it gets yeah. more weed. And sometimes I'll, I'll be like searching for say a quote from Joan Crawford and I'll, I won't find a quote from Joan Crawford, but I'll find a quote from someone else about someone else, or I'll come across a story of a suicide, you know, somewhere in Los Angeles. And then that kind of catches my eye more than looking for the quote from Joan Crawford. So, mm. so I'll just go down that rabbit hole and see where that takes me. And then I'll backtrack and go back in time and find that quote about Joan Crawford or by Joan Crawford and put it into the other post I had in mind. But that's where that's where I do a lot of stuff, and it was that way when, when researching the book as well. It was a it was a matter of rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole until you run out of rabbit holes. <laughs> I want to talk to you um, about the book um, "Haunted by History." The, uh, the city has so much incredible history, and and a lot of it uh, gory, and and some of it, you know, like with murders and suicides, and uh, oh yeah, a lot of uh, um, disturbing things, and. Um, and I want to talk to you, of course, about your paranormal investigations and experiences as well. But uh, Haunted by History, so how did that come about and where could people find it uh, as well? Where, where can listeners find uh, that book if they want to purchase it and check it out? The book came about as, you know, after a series of, I guess you could call them fortunate events. Uh, some people would look at it as unfortunate, but um, there were many little things that happened to me through my life that kind of always kept me interested in the paranormal. Um, some of the stuff happened in California, some didn't, but I got the, uh, the first, I guess my first haunted experience in a hotel, in a historic hotel was in 2009. Right. And that was doing just a vintage photo shoot at the Mission Inn. And what happened was I had been working for the IATSE, Local 600, which represented cinematographers and still photographers. And I had a film degree from SMU in Dallas. And I had worked production for a number of years, mostly behind the, the camera, not doing what I got my degree in. You know, yeah. I didn't get a degree in getting, you know, a breakfast sandwich for Joel <laughs> Schumacher. You know, you worked on some uh, But I ended films. up doing that yeah. anyway, yeah. you know. Um 
for a while. So, you know, I wanted to do something for me. And so I had saved up a nice little nest egg. And I decided I was going to actually do something completely different from paranormal per se, but I was going to do something vintage old Hollywood. I had written a script, a, a fictionalized script, uh, story of a silent film star that wiped out with the coming of sound. And it was a hybrid of different characters, real-life characters based mm -hmm. on real-life characters. And so I thought, well, at the time I was thinking, let's do something really clever. Let's make a fake fan site for this fictional mm, character. Cool. So I had hired a model. I'd hired several models, actually, and were dressing them in late 20s. But I was running out of locations to shoot. And right. it's, it's very hard to shoot on a budget in L.A. because sure. everyone wants a permit. And everyone's really hip to how to squeeze money out of anybody, yeah. no matter how big or small you are. Sure. So I was looking outside of L.A., and uh, I looked at several hotels. All of them, I noticed, had haunted reputations. So I thought, that's cool. That's going to add a little adventure to the shoot, you know, for sure. So um, I chose the Mission Inn because it had the best look for what I was going after. But just to be sure, I was going to take a couple of audio recorders with me, just in case something weird happened. Uh, but I wasn't there to ghost hunt at all. So I took a room, uh, it was actually a suite 417 at the Mission Inn, it's called the Carrie Jacobs Bond Suite. Never heard anything online or read anything online, rather, that it was haunted. And I checked in and within 24 hours weird things started happening as soon as, you know, the shoot went underway. Uh, can you be a little more specific? <clears throat> what, what started happening? And, and can you also give some background uh, of the hotel? What transpired there? Oh, sure. The Mission Inn in Riverside, I always joke that it's really the only place in Riverside worth worth visiting, uh, but a lot of people laugh because they agree, you know. <laughs> it's just one of those towns. Uh, it's a fairly new town for Southern California. I think it it started around 18, in the 18, uh, I want to say maybe the late 1860s, definitely by the 1870s it was, it was underway. Mm -hmm. It started out as just a settlement. Um, what put Riverside, California on the map was its agriculture and that that was the first location in the country that could grow, that had the climate and the soil to grow Washington Naval Oranges. And that became a huge deal okay. for the U.S. government and for citrus growers everywhere. Mm -hmm. So from the moment that that first little Naval Orange grew, so did Riverside. What ended up happening is as people started moving in, uh, there was not enough hotels. And there was a family, one of the early settlers were the Miller family. So they put together almost like a boarding house, and it was called the Glenwood Cottage. It, be, it quickly became too small to accommodate the number of people that were arriving, so they kept adding to it. And then as they added to it, it became uh, the Glenwood Hotel, and then it became the Glenwood Tavern. What happened was the son of the, uh, of the family was a guy named Frank Miller, and he was a very much an enterprising, you know, overachiever uh, type uh, mentally. And he bought his parents' business. He bought that hotel, uh, uh, the boarding house, the Glenwood Cottage. And he's the one that was really responsible for making the additions. 
And he was so impressed by California mission style in this relatively new city of Riverside that he wanted to eventually build a hotel on that site. And it took him forever to get the money to do it. But he was rising in power as a city leader. He became a political boss. He started getting so active in his current surroundings, uh, desperately trying to be a man of means. That uh, and he was totally catering to the wealthy that were coming into town as a as a uh, political boss and as a city leader. He never ran for office. He didn't have to. He con- he started controlling the politicians after a while. Finally, he made friends with the Huntingtons, which were a major, very wealthy family that were building railroads throughout Southern California. And he did a favor for them, and in turn, they did a favor for him, and he was able to get the funding to build his dream hotel, which was this Mission uh, mission Revival-style hotel. And okay. so it opened in 1904, cutting to the chase. And... Uh, he, over time, Frank Miller kept adding to it as his tastes changed. It started to move away from Spanish uh, Mission and Revival. It went to Spanish Revival, and then it went into this weird hybrid where there was some Japanese-inspired architecture. So some people have compared the Mission Inn to like the Winchester Mystery House and that it, it changed directions and kept growing and expanding based on the whims of its owner. Okay. It wasn't as dramatic uh, or bizarre as the Winchester Mystery House, but it, it, was, it took up a whole city block by 1930 when they stopped building. And there were plans to keep building. They just yeah. ran out of money with the Great Depression. And uh, Frank Miller died in 1935, and his family is, uh, fell into the possession of uh, his uh, daughter, and uh, his one daughter, and she ran it until the 50s. And uh, then it it has passed through many hands, and, and it went downhill in the 70s and 80s, 60s. And now it's it's enjoying a renaissance because a new owner had bought it and had uh, put enough money into it and brought back a lot of the old customs that the Millers had in place and, and then added their own with the, with the Christmas light lighting every every holiday season does it have a violent past was there were there murders there or something that uh not really like not not like other hotels no okay. i mean there were they do they did have their bizarre stories and then yeah. frank miller himself was a very bizarre character and you either you know he seems to one set of historians seem to think he's like this big crook and another you know, try to deify him as, as, you know, the patron saint of Riverside. He was neither one. He was somewhere in the middle. Okay. Um, he, he had a strange philosophy, very materialistic. He died in his quarters from cancer uh, on the fourth floor where I was doing my shoot okay. in 1935. And, and it's long believed that he's one of the main ghosts there. Still hanging out. His spirit's yeah. still hanging out there. So, um, what, so you're there creating a, a, a fake website for the script that you wrote. Just for taking this, pictures for it, yeah. Um, yeah. Fictional character who was a silent uh, movie star who right. was kind of forced out of the business when sound uh, was incorporated into Correct. film. And so you're doing the shoot there in the room. 
In and, and suite 417, the Carrie Jacobs Bond suite, correct. And what is happening at that time? That's Nothing that's happened I, actually during the shoot Yeah, uh, on the first night. Uh, but we stayed up to like 4 or 4.30 in the morning. And I was so exhausted by that time. I was like saying, you know, let's just wrap it up. And she, the model that I had hired, I gave, uh, I rented her the room right below mine. Okay. And uh, so she went downstairs and got ready for bed. I just crashed on the bed. I didn't even take off my clothes. I was that you tired. Were shot. I was, yeah, yeah, I was done. And uh, so I only slept about four or five hours. That's all I needed. So I got up, ran some errands, came back to my room at about 1230. I opened the door and I heard what sounded like housekeeping, moving toiletry items around in the bathroom. So I do what I always do when I walk in on housekeeping or when I hear a sound of someone moving around. I said, hello, I'm back, I'm here. And there was no sound, no response. So I thought, that's odd. So I walked back into the bathroom and no one was there. So I thought, huh, that's weird. Maybe maybe I am just too tired, you know? You start rationalizing everything. And it was 110 degrees outside, it was August, it was during the great recession of you know 2009 there there were no real hotel guests there we i always felt like i had the run of the mill of the the hotel there were more staff than there were hotel uh hotel guests at that time like they were (laughs) struggling like every other yeah yeah that was a rough time. time for everyone sure um so that that's that's pretty bizarre. Was it bizarre enough for you to say, hey, I got a split or you wanted to hang out? And oh, no, no, no. That was just the first thing. Uh, Fifteen minutes later, I'm on the computer, you know, typing emails. And the Carrie Jacobs Bond suite is actually on two levels. There's the ground floor where I was mm-hmm. and where the bed is. And then there's some stairs that go up to a loft. And in that loft, it's a small loft area and it overlooks the bedroom. But in that loft, there's only a floor lamp, a chair, and a wooden desk, table. And that's it. That's really pretty much all you can fit up there. Well, while I'm downstairs, I start hearing the sound of, like, coins dropping one by one on, like, a wooden table surface. Hmm. And I still ignored that and tried to just continue with my, you know, emails. And then... About two minutes after that, I started hearing the click-clacking of female heels walking across that tile floor upstairs, heading towards... It sounded like it was heading right to the stairs right behind me. That's That's when I ended my email with a, I think I've got a ghost. Uh, Got to go check it out. Talk to you later. Bye. And uh, hit send. I grabbed my two recorders, and I made sure no one was around, uh, secured all the doors, all the windows. Uh, it was the first time I'd really done a serious, uh, what's called an EVP test. Is that when you record audio and then crank up the volume to hear? Sometimes you have, sometimes you crank up, sometimes you don't have to, but EVP stands for electronic voice phenomena. And Mm. it's, it's basically the, the phenomena that you can go into an absolutely quiet room, turn on a recorder and, Sometimes you can pick up a mysterious voice that wasn't there when you were there. Mm. And so sorry, just to, for clarification. So sure. you, you went to this hotel not with the intention of doing a paranormal investigation. No, no. 
And how many floors is this? Because I'm not familiar with the hotel. Is there? You're on the fourth floor. Is there? There's no floors? other. There's not a fifth floor. Oh, so the, you're on you're the top at the very floor. Top floor. And so above your room, you're hearing uh, heels clacking. Like, uh, well, my suite is on two levels. Oh, so, I see. I see. I misunderstood. So it's just a little loft. It's it doesn't even really count as a fifth floor. It's I see. just it's just a tiny little upstairs loft. So then you pull out your <clears> recorder and you start recording and conducting an investigation I, I if you can call it an investigation at that time all i did was go up there turn on the recorder and ask questions to air for 10 minutes and i felt really silly have you had, had you done that before no that was the no, first time first time what sort of questions did you throw out to, oh uh, the same things that usually what people will ask is anyone here with me yeah um can you come closer uh, can you do something to let me know that you're here? And see, you can't even really address it as a ghost, you know, or, or a person. So that's why it's it feels silly, especially the first time you do something like that. Sure. Because it's like, who are you and what are you really talking to, <laughs> right. you know? So I did that for about 10 minutes, and I was listening very carefully because uh, I was skeptical. And Did you believe in ghosts at this time, or you were... I did, and I do. Um, however, we were all, I think, you know, when you start out, unless you've seen them all your life, which I'm not one of those types, mm-hmm. um, you're always wondering where are you going to get your, your major clue that there's something on the other side that exists or doesn't exist. So growing up, I always wavered between being a full blown believer and a non-believer at all. Yeah. And so in this particular phase, I was very much kind of in between. I, I leaned toward being a believer because I did have en- en- enough personal experiences growing up to make me lean that direction. However, I always had a very open mind that all paranormal theory could be proven as false. So I went with that. You know, I was aware of that, too. So I was just going to do the best I can, use my critical thinking skills and and uh, common sense when conducting these investigations and or EVP sessions, as we call them, and, and to analyze the information on them. So what was the result? What, did you find anything on the tape when you went? That's what home? shocked me is that uh, I didn't hear anything, thought it was a bust. Uh, obviously, I didn't hear any odd noises while I was doing my 10-minute question thing. But I thought, well, I'll replay it and see if there's anything on there lo and bold it sounded like a very faint female voice was on that recording and so i didn't like i said i wasn't there to ghost hunt so i didn't have any extra gear i didn't have headphones i didn't have anything that you can like plug it in and really listen to it was just on the recorder by itself is it is it clear (laughs) what the voice can you make out what the voice is saying or not on the recorder that i had and not with my ears um so uh, that's what fascinated me is that I wasn't even, it was so faint, I thought it sounded female, but I wasn't absolutely sure. But it really shook me up in that there shouldn't have been a voice on there whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And so I was playing it for everybody that would listen. And then when the model finally woke up and, you know, where's my breakfast and let's <laughs> go shoot, uh, I said, you got to hear this. Right. And so I played it for her. <clears throat> and she heard it too, but then she turned around and said, were you moving furniture at five in the morning? 
So she had a weird experience as well in her room. Yeah, and yeah. I said no. And she said, well, I was just on the brink of falling asleep, and something very heavy seemed to move about 8 to 10 feet right over my head. And I thought it was you just setting up for the next day shoot. Yeah. And I just kind of started laughing and went, no, <laughs> not me. I was sound asleep. As soon as you left that room, I was probably asleep already, you know. Wow. And um, so later that day, we were, you know, I was, I wanted security to hear it. I wanted everybody to hear it. You know, I, I, I wasn't finding other guests, so I was really just letting other mission and staff hear it. Did the staff uh, say at, at any point that they had similar, heard similar accounts from guests um, of, of bizarre yes noises? And, yes and no. Um I was actually going right down that 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 street. Okay. Conversation-wise, what ended up happening is a lot of them acknowledged that they heard the voice. In fact, all of them did. Um, when I went to the front desk clerk, uh, I played her the voice, and she heard it. And there's a no ghost policy at the Mission Inn, so they don't really come out and say, "Oh." Let me tell you my ghost story. What does that mean, no ghost policy? They don't like to talk about... Uh, the owners have put kind of a... They told they tell the staff... Yeah. Kind of informally, don't right. if, don't encourage this. Exactly. Which is kind of silly because it would bring in tourism. They might fill up some of those rooms. Yes, yes. Um, yes, definitely. In fact, uh, the Mission Inn was rumored to be haunted as early as like 1908. And it was... a. That's like the one tradition that the current owners don't bring back. Hmm. But the Miller family, uh, when they owned the hotel, they certainly were okay with ghosts. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, when I told the front desk clerk about the furniture moving, that's when she, that piqued her interest. And she said, well, let me ask you this. She said, were you moving furniture? And I said, uh, no. And why? And she said, well, that's, that's good to know because... Since I've been working here, you're like the third guest that's told me this story. Wow. And she said when I'd get the calls at around 5 in the morning, complaints about people moving furniture in that suite 417 up above, that she never called to ask because she was afraid that if she woke them up and they said no, why, then she would have to explain you know, that people were hearing this in the middle of the night. And, uh, and, uh, so she just chalked it up to as something else. And that right. something else is kind of code word for paranormal that I've noticed a few employees at the mission in use. Oh, it must be something else. Wow. So, um, <clears throat> that was the only thing that happened in for, in the room down below. It was really the only thing that happened during our stay in room 417, but we stayed there four days. And on the last night, I wanted to switch suites. Because of the goat? <clears throat> because of the paranormal? Just to change locations. Okay. You just wanted a different room. Yeah. Just because we were shooting. The hotel had a policy that as long as you had a room, you could shoot. You know, uh, they, d they don't like photographers just coming in and just... Right, not shooting, spending any money. Shooting brides and grooms, yeah. yeah, and not having a room. Sure. Um, so we were taking rooms, and we were doing just this low-key shoot. Um, everybody knew what we were going on because staff was coming in and out all the time. And uh, and when you're practically the only guest, everyone's watching you, <laughs> you know, uh, making sure that we're having a good time and everything's okay. Mm. But on that last night, it's we moved be to It's a little the, strange to be the only guest. 
It was very strange. Yeah. It was like a little shining, except right. that the other staff were living, right. you know, <laughs> um, which was good. Yeah. But uh, finally, uh, we finally towards the end of the week, there were more people checking in, so I I got to see more guests, and um, we had moved into the Alhambra suite which was like one of the most popular suites. It, all, it too was on the fourth floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, oh boy, oh boy. You know, I've heard about this place. This this is a famous suite. A lot of famous people stayed here. And it's, you know, it was for many years considered the suite at the Mission Inn. I hated it. From the moment they let me in that room, it felt heavy, uh, uncomfortable. Um, I could not. I, I could not relax and, and do my shoot. I mean, I just, uh, this thought kept popping through my head. The other shoe's going to fall. The other shoe's going to drop, you know. And I couldn't figure out, what what does that mean? You know, I'm just kind of, I guess I'm just tired. That's, you know, I'm trying to rationalize why I hated this room. Sorry, what do you mean by the <laughs> other shoe is going to fall? I just felt like something else, something was going to happen that night. Something was going to happen. Paranormal-wise. An uneasiness? It was very uneasy. It was extremely uneasy. And whenever the model went down to her room to change uh, costumes or makeup or adjust her hair, and she'd leave me alone in that suite, I just hated it. And I'm not a guy that gets spooked too much by, you know, haunted, gloomy rooms. But that one, that bugged me. And then, sure enough... That shoe did drop, but it was about a little after midnight, and it didn't drop per se inside that suite, but it was right outside of it where it happened, and I'd gotten a phone call uh, about midnight, and so I went into the courtyard, took the phone call for about 10, 15 minutes, and as I was walking back to the suite to resume the photo shoot, Something caught my eye right off to the left, and it's this open-mouth brick hallway that uh, is a fairly short hallway. There is a little alcove that will go to various rooms, but it's a short hallway that takes you directly into the Mission Inn from the outside courtyard. Mm -hmm. So it looks a little spooky, but not terribly, you know. Um, Something caught my eye. I'm I'm actually looking for something weird and i really i'm not seeing anything weird other than there's the shadow on the right and it's you know two-dimensional inky black it kind of looks sort of human-like and it looks like it's leaning over and peeking around a corner Hmm. um definitely wasn't a shadow or anything like that it it was that's the my my brain interpreted as a shadow yeah nothing sinister uh, it looked human-like, but I wasn't interpreting it as human mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, it, it just, my brain, it was like paradelia in reverse. I mean, I interpreted it as a shadow and nothing more than a shadow. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it was very still as well. So I before entering the room, I did one more glance over because I was trying to figure out what caught my eye, what something moved. I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And just as I focused again on that shadow, because I'm taking inventory as I'm looking through there, I'm going, okay, you know, here's the lights overhead. All three lights are on. It's casting shadows on the bricks, on the walls. Um, I can see the stained glass window through the, the glass door at the other end of the hall, and then there's a shadow on the right. And so as I started focusing on the shadow, I'm thinking, what 
is the light source that's creating that shadow. And as soon as I'm thinking that and beginning to lock in on that shadow, that shadow zipped out of sight down that hall that it looked like it was peeking in from. And Did it have a silhouette of like a, a human form? It was, it, like I said, it looked somewhat human-like. It, what it looked like, it looked blocky a little bit, but it resembled a figure wearing a habit or a, or like a friar, a monk's attire, mm. almost like a robe. Really? Um, and, uh, but again, it looked very flat. It looked two dimensional. It was, it, it was blacker than the other shadows cast in that hallway. And that was also what I was wondering about. I was going, God, that looks darker than the, you know, the shadows on the bricks. Yeah. And, and just as I'm looking at it directly, it zips around a corner. And so I'm like a deer in headlight for about right. two seconds. And then I, I walk over to that area and look down that hallway and, to see where the shadow could have gone because no one was around me at the time. And there's no way that street lights or headlights from the, car, uh, from the street level could, would ever travel up there. It's just too large, too tall. And the way the mission in is laid out, you're just not going to get that. And there were no security guards around, nothing of that sort. So what ended up happening is I looked down that hallway. There were only two doors. One was to a suite that I later found out was going to be what would be the most haunted suite at the mission in, supposedly, online. I didn't know that at the time, but, that, but uh, I found out through my own research later. And then the other door was the was to the bedroom I was going to be sleeping in later that night, which was not the Alhambra suite. This it was part of the it went into the bedroom of the Alhambra suite. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so I walked in feeling like I had, and looking like I had just seen a ghost, and uh, the model was like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and I told her what happened, and she. She kept trying to cheer me up and keep me going, and I I would try to shoot, but then there were like sounds of footsteps overhead, or someone was like throwing real heavy objects on top of the roof of the Alhambra suite, and we tried to capture it on the recorders because we both were hearing it. It wasn't just me, right? Um, but it would stop as soon as we turn off, turn on the recorders, and then it, you know. So we weren't really catching it, uh, but I kept going outside, looking up at the roof, going, who is pranking me at this hour? You know, it, had to, it has to be a prank. Mm. But there was nothing heavy up there to throw on a roof, and it's a Spanish tile roof, so it has to be something sizable to make this kind of sound. But why footsteps? There's not a floor above us. Yeah. So r- around 4, 4.30 in the morning, I was so exhausted from just being scared from being uncomfortable for hours and frustrated because the lighting, it, it just seemed like that room just sucked all the, the light out of my, I mean, I, I tried to light up and no matter how much light I would throw on the model, it came out dark or it was just gloomy, you know, just, it was almost like the whole atmosphere of the room just diffused any light that I kept throwing. And I used all my lights yeah. and it was just nothing good was coming out of this shoot that I, I felt that I could use. So around 4, 4.30, I was so exhausted, it was like ghost or no ghost, I think I can sleep in that bedroom. So I did, but then only about three hours later, I woke up to a door slamming really loud somewhere in that hallway. And you know, once I peeled myself 
off of the ceiling from being awoken by that loud slam. I went ahead and paid the bill. I packed up, loaded up, and as I was checking out, you know, the front desk clerk was very nice. And, oh, how did you enjoy your stay, Mr. Owens? And, oh, yeah, it's fine. By the way, who all, can you tell me who else was staying on the fourth floor uh, last night? Because there were lights on in certain rooms that would be turned off, and then there were a door slam, you know, 7 in the morning. And, and I kept hearing weird things like, someone throwing stuff on my roof you know during the shoot yeah and she says oh well we'll oh, we're sorry to hear that let me look uh sorry mr owens but no, you were There's the only you were the only guest on that floor that night creepy and then i said well can you check to see if staff had like slammed the door were they coming in and right. see everything's key carded so you can they can tell who enters and what so they ran a check no one entered any of the rooms no staff was uh scheduled to work in that part of the hotel hmm. so they were very apologetic and uh i went home and slept with the lights on in my house for the next 10 days and you were spooked that 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 was a life-changing four days yes was that the first time you had encountered something like that or experienced first, time something I, like that? first time i ever saw what i would categorize as a ghost yes what is it about hotels um we stayed at the georgian couple years ago and I Santa Monica yeah in Santa Monica anything weird happened there yeah um the first thing that was odd was that we had a remote control for the fan because the room was hot and I kept trying to turn it on and it wouldn't turn on to the point where we called room service because it was like the room was sweltering and the AC was on it just wasn't getting warm I wanted to turn the fan on so the uh, person came up from downstairs and he just hit the button and the fan turned on. I'm like, I've been doing this for half an hour and the fan <laughs> hasn't turned on. He's like, yeah, we've had that. This has happened a lot. In that in particular room? room it- I, I'm not, I didn't really probe him if it was just that room or across the hotel. But I guess at one point it used to be a, convales- a convalescence home. Like it used to be a hospital, like a hospice sort of deal. Okay. Where, and I don't want to put out misinformation, so people that are listening should go and double check that. But that's what we had heard that um, a lot of people had died in the the, before it was a hotel. Used to be sort of a sort of a hospice or a a room where people would basically go to die, Um, and that there were a lot of deaths in that in that hotel. I also woke up in the middle of the night and I heard footsteps. Uh, I couldn't sleep. I didn't really sleep the whole time we were there. but I know that hotel has a history. We actually took a ghost tour. There's a really cool, um, it's a couple, they do a ghost tour in Santa Monica called Santa Monica Haunted Ghost Tours. Okay. And we were staying in the Georgian, and that was one of the stops on that tour, uh, was the Georgian. And they had, um, I don't know what you call those meters with the lights on either end. That, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Those are K2 meters. K2 yeah. meters. Yeah, yeah, they had one of those, and they were kind of scanning the place. I guess the hotel is cool with that. They let them go in the lobby and do these tours. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that was... Um, well, the Georgian has been on my radar screen. Yeah. Um, in fact, I might have talked to this the same group you're referring to to ask them, you know, um, how, how, what a, how does the hotel stand, you know, how do they... F- how do they handle talk of ghosts or their paranormal reputation? And uh, the response I got was something to the effect of, well, they 
kind of grudgingly acknowledge it, but they don't embrace it kind of thing. It's like, okay, yeah, well, some people say that it's haunted, but we're not going to make a, an official position Statement. on it. Right. So, <clears throat> but there's been very few, like, real stories about that. And I always thought, thought that the history that you read online about it being Bugsy Seagull's, you know, hangout. Yeah. And, and about a speakeasy in the, the basement. Yes, which um, I, I, we did try to go down there. I believe it's called it's cautioned off. You're not allowed to go down yeah. there. But I do remember going down. Someone let us down just to take a peek. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'd love to see that. Uh, I've never been able to find anything that like directly links Bugsy Siegel there. And, the, yeah. and there's a lot of urban legends throughout Southern California about Bugsy Siegel being here, Bugsy Siegel being there. And it's possible that he was. Yeah. I mean, I just need to talk to, and and I just need to do a lot of looking and corroboration on a lot of these stories mm-hmm. before I can say, yes, this is exactly how it happened, and yeah. this was where he was. You know, for instance, there's a, I'm going off topic just slightly, but there's a place uh, near Lake Arrowhead that uh, is called the Brackenfern Manor, and they're on my bucket list. If I do a volume three, I'm, I'm going go to there. the Brackenfern. Um, and, you know, there's a t- television shows have gone there, paranormal television shows, and there's a lot of tours. They all say that this was the place that, that Bugsy Siegel built, or, and it isn't. Yeah. Um, there was a casino raid in around 1937, and I believe Bugsy was connected to that casino raid because that was the time he was there but oddly enough when i started doing the back research on uh brackenfern manor like as early as the 80s when they started first talking about it being haunted there was no mention of bugsy siegel back yeah. then that that's fairly recent what they were saying however was that george raft was there and like george raft the movie star mm. the gangster famous for flipping the coin. Okay. He was a close friend of Bugsy Siegel. Interesting. So somehow it evolved from George Raft to Bugsy Siegel to possibly both of them. Okay. Oh, possibly both. Now, usually where George Raft is, Bugsy Siegel wasn't too far behind. Okay. Uh, uh, because they were buddies. They not only were buddies, but Bugsy Siegel looked up to Raft. Okay. And in the movie, uh, Bugsy with Warren Beatty. Yes. The character played by Joe Montagna, who they they never called him by his last name, but he was always George, the movie star. Okay, that was George Raft. Okay, I, I haven't seen the film. Okay, I haven't seen the film. Well, for all the film buffs that yeah. are listening, yeah. they'll they'll get the reference. Yeah, Al Capone as well, right? I feel like Al Capone. Everything is Al Capone was here. Al Capone had a suite here. Al Capone had a lot of his torpedoes and his men out here because mm. as soon as they got hot in Chicago. And the police were looking for him there. They just sent him to do business Head in L.A. Yeah. And L.A. was a big mob town. And they, they definitely were interested in establishing uh, ties and businesses there. So, yeah, there were, there were a number of Capone people that were here. And they got actively involved in some of the illegal activity going on in Los Angeles. And so, yeah, um, 
Whether Al Capone came out here all that much is debatable. Mm. I know uh, we stay at a place in uh, near Palm Springs called Two Bunch Palms. Uh-huh. Uh, beautiful place. Um, and they have an Al Capone suite that he would allegedly, that was his hideout. Uh, yeah, I, I know I know what place you're talking about. Mm. 29 Palms, yeah. Yeah. Um, it could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, he did have to travel, you know, incognito and quiet at times. And... Um, he he would have come out here a few times. I'm I'm thinking, um, but again, you'd have to be you'd have to be very careful uh, in researching that because there's a lot of urban legends. Right. Um, there's a lot of hotels that that you visited. Um, so one in particular that seemed to I, I believe you've docu- you have some documentation of an apparition or more documentation is the Palomar Inn. In Temecula? That's correct. Yep, yep. That's I did actually photograph what I believe to be an apparition. And I say that a little bit with a, a little bit of embarrassment because I certainly didn't set out to take a picture. It just, there's a mysterious human-like figure that is right in the middle of the picture. Wasn't there when I snapped the picture. Uh, and I showed it to a number of professional photographers some of them have been doing it a lot longer than me mm. and they see the same thing that i see and they're going no this should not be this way it shouldn't you know it's human like but it's not human it's not quite photographing as human mm. um so i don't post it on social media <laughs> for that reason is I, there a reason because i mean you seem very skeptical and someone who doesn't just take things at face value if they say they experience a ghost you want to do some research and you want to um kind of get to the bottom of of what the person experienced but is there a reason you wouldn't post it and then kind of let people scrutinize it and look at it i have let people scrutinize it and post and run tests on it privately Mm -hmm. um what happened was it's kind of funny. Um, it did get aired on my ghost story. And the, the story behind that is had to do with the Palomar Inn was in very dire straits uh, financially. And so I went to the owner of the Palomar Inn and said, look, uh, if I can bring some people out to your hotel, uh, would you be okay with that? And he said, yes. So I went ahead and contacted... Um, some people and I contacted my ghost story and once they saw the picture they were like yes we definitely want to to cover Palomar Inn and but they wanted me to exaggerate and they wanted me to say things and they wanted more stuff that uh, I wouldn't provide simply because they were asking me to look at pictures with mirror reflections and glass and see if there's any kind of you know weird thing in there that they could use and I said well no that's really I'm very skeptical of any apparition photos taken in reflected glass or old windows or, or whatnot. So, so you had photos that were bizarre because they were intentionally, you took photos of glass or maybe not, maybe there were mistakes, uh, but you knew yeah. that they weren't apparitions right. and they, they were wanted to spin for, them. They were, yeah, they were looking for orbs. They were looking for any kind of padding. So I refused to play that game. And I said, no, this is the one photo. And, and let me just say up front, uh, most people in most ghost photos, it's it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime event. So sure. if you're asking me for a bunch of ghost photos, and suddenly I have a bunch of ghost photos to show you. You should uh, be skeptical. 
you you should not believe me right you know because this is uh i i this is opening the door to fakery those people that claim to have lots of ghost photos mm -hmm. so i uh, said no this is the real deal i mean i can't explain it so uh they were disappointed in that so they bumped me down to like second narrator and elevated <laughs> my friend uh to first narrator and i was okay with that because i just they, you were sticking I, to your ethics. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. going to exaggerate the story either. So, uh, and they weren't terribly thrilled with that. You know, it is what it is. And um, so it aired, and it aired in between segments that did feature, you know, dust particles being passed off as paranormal uh, orbs. And uh, so enough people saw it where they grew interested and they were visiting the hotel. But what's funny is on one of these paranormal chat boards, I found where someone had taken a screenshot of my photo, had posted it in this private chat board, and all, everyone was ragging on it saying it was fake. And, and their excuses were, were comical. And I, I wasn't going to get involved in, in, in that. For one thing, you know, you can't judge a photo by a screenshot taken on a point-and-shoot thing without right. you need to see the real photo and second of all i thought the one of the arguments was that well maybe he was so intense on taking the photo that he didn't see someone walk into a frame and i'm like scratching my head going how yeah. can how does that happen how can you be so intense that you don't know what's right you're paying so much attention to what's in the frame that you don't right. see someone moving into the frame but you're you're a professional photographer you know these right. things and yeah. the people that are commenting on the that the photos are right. usually not that they're not, they don't have the experience. They don't have the knowledge. So, and they're just kind of, um, people, you know, on social media, take a lot of cheap shots and, and say a lot of ridiculous right. things. And I wanted to control the message a little more. I mean, I, I ultimately, I decided I'm going to put it in volume two and that way when it goes into volume two and it gets released along with the real history of the Palomar Inn and all everything that I was able to find on it, uh, historic wise I will I will just put all the information on the shot the time of day it was caught what the f-stop was what the focal range was um, and what, what's focal range off off hand I off the top of my head I don't know that figure I, I know that the show oh, no no I'm sorry was, what is it can you define oh, what it means I don't know what how it means. far the camera was oh I see. From the, okay the apparition I see. Um, and uh, you know I I can tell you that it was caught at a half second speed shutter speed i do remember that detail mm -hmm. and it wasn't even at night it was still daylight and there were people around but there wasn't anyone in that shot and we even tried to recreate it because we caught the picture we noticed the picture not long after we had shot it in fact it, it was an accident how we did find it I, I had taken enough shots where i felt like i had gotten what i wanted and I took my camera off the tripod and I walked over to the model and we were looking through the photos on the little LED screen. Mm -hmm. And then we saw that image pop up. And uh, so it looked just like a shadow figure. I went, oh, no, not again. So I, I went upstairs and downloaded it onto my uh, Mac computer, which didn't have Photoshop or any of the bells and whistles. It's primarily used for storage and communication only. And so I uploaded it there to take a look on a bigger screen, and then uh, it was more than a shadow. I mean, there, it was a there was a pigmentation on the skin 
of this person and whatnot. And so um, I decided to sit on it because I, I was embarrassed by it, to be honest with you. I was so cynical what, about, why were you about ghost photos. Mm. Uh, because two days before I had taken this photo, someone had visited the hotel and had asked me, do you take use your camera for shooting ghosts and i went on this long speech about how i don't believe in ghost photos too much anymore <laughs> and i said i always look for a shadow if there's a shadow then there's no such it, it's not a ghost mm -hmm. you know and you debunk and, it and i was telling stories about you know all the people that were sending me their ghost photos and how i every time i said it i don't think it's a ghost they get mad at me you know so it's like i was trying to explain that i think you know, when I'm doing these shoots, I'm renting the buildings and I'm paying the models and I'm renting the costumes and I'm feeding everybody. And I don't want to waste time and money shooting dark rooms at night thinking that maybe I might catch something move. Right. I mean, I just I said, look, if it happens, it happens. And it's a once in a lifetime thing. But I'm not going to I'm not going to waste my time taking ghost photos. I said that in the lobby of the Palomar Inn. Yeah. Two days later, I capture a ghost in that same area where I gave that long speech. And guess what? It put off a shadow, a very faint shadow, but it gave a shadow. So using my own criteria, my old criteria, I would have debunked it as saying, oh, shadow, it can't be a ghost. And the problem with this ghost photo is it looks too good to be true. So can you describe to the listeners what? The image is, you said it's human-like. It, I believe you said it, it's blockish. No, oh, not this one. Okay. This one is a man wearing a 1930 cut suit. Mm -hmm. Looks like he's got uh, almost like a newsboy cap on. That You can't make any features on the face. He's about 6'2 to 6'4. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's leaning over and he's grabbing something off the table. And what was on the table at the time... This is part two of how weird this is. Uh, were some just regular Temecula Valley wine tasting brochures. Uh, I just decided to leave them on the table. One of the models that was about 6'2 and had a 1930s suit, not too terribly different from the what the apparition was wearing, was sitting in a corner behind me, and he specifically asked me, do you want to move those brochures? And I, and I said, no, leave them. I said, you know, if I don't like them, I'll Photoshop them out. They're, they're, it's not a distraction mm -hmm. for me. And so we left them. This figure in the photo is removing them. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we saw the photo, I went downstairs. And once I started showing everybody, um, we were going, well, where are the brochures? Because we know that was when we noticed the brochures were not on the table. So they were gone. They were gone. They were gone. And I never found them, but two of my crew members found it in a, in a kind of an empty corner of the lobby. And they were under a couple of sheets of paper. That's and, bizarre. And I kept one of them for keepsake because I couldn't explain it. Yeah. So when we discovered this, we all, I took the whole crew out and we went to have dinner and we talked about this photo and some of them were on the because it is it looks so darn good that some of them were going god it just can't be it can't be can and, i ask um do you develop photos digitally you don't use like a black room no, or anything no, like that it's just digital and i was shooting with a canon rebel mm. 2000 and 
I think 2009. So it couldn't be some like strange thing in the negative or something like that. This was something that was caught, right? You know, in in the in the digital image, which yeah, and it doesn't make it wasn't sense. like a double exposure because right. it, it's double in. Um, well, for one thing, they didn't have a double exposure function back then for digital cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, uh, chances of it being disproportionate to its environment, being a double exposure are extremely high. This is not one of those images. It's definitely in the right place, in the right timing. I mean, everything is correct on that end. Um, it, there is what looks like uh, motion blur, but not enough. So what, what happened is we decided to take the model who most resembled the apparition, and we went back after dinner, and we set the camera up the same way, and for about an hour and a half, we tried to recreate that picture. And I picked the biggest skeptic in our group, other than me, to do the recreating and do the directing. And we couldn't, we couldn't recreate it. For one thing, the model in question uh, had, has, uh, I think it's called lazy eye, is the, it, but it's a, it's a handicap where one, the two eyes are not in sync with one another. Mm-hmm. So he's legally blind. I mean, he can't drive. Mm-hmm. And, he's awkward and bumps into things when helping move furniture and whatnot. And he was stiff as a board, but he's the only guy that came closest. Plus the fact that this apparition looked like he was wearing a newsboy cap. And we only had one model with a newsboy cap in the whole shoot. And he was the one that was, I was trying to shoot on the stairs. Mm. Uh, So he was already in the shot. And then another thing is that the, 30s pinstripe that the model that we had that resembled him. This is, a, I'm sorry, a male model, right? A male my, model, For some reason, yeah. my mind thought it was a female model. No. Uh, had a loose, baggy fit to his suit. And the the apparition, for lack of a better word, it's tailor-made. I mean, it's fitting very snug against the torso. So it just it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. What's odd is that once I got home with the photo, uh, I do have Photoshop on my home computer so I bumped it up to see if there were more details because it just looked black with a little pigmentation for where the hands and the face were Mm -hmm. when I bumped it up uh, a lot more details came through and that was shocking too it looked like the apparition was wearing a pinstripe suit you can actually see the cut of the suit pocket Mm -hmm. the flap and which was different than the suits that the models were wearing right uh, and and fabric pulls Mm -hmm. as well what did the face look like what was the face the face was a blur it was a blur yeah Hmm. no you can't make out any any details on the face Hmm. and um so i decided to sit on it for a while and I, i was afraid of rushing to judgment that it's an apparition photo without spending a lot of time looking and talking to other people about it mm-hmm. privately um, because I was, I guess my biggest fear was that uh, the answer is so obvious that I, d- I can't think of it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all had those moments sure. where it's like you jump to something and it's right. like, no. You think the blender's broken, but really you forgot to plug it in. Or yeah, something. yeah. It's <laughs> just, you know, but after years of, of doing this and questioning why of all people, why am I the one that caught this photo mm-hmm. and why, um, um, who's going to believe me that I'm not, I didn't, it's not that I just caught a, a ghost, uh, in a photo. 
this ghost is actually picking up brochures and making them disappear into the dimension or whatever that it came from all in a half second. Mm. Who's going to believe that, you know? Um, so that's why I was embarrassed. It's a long explanation, but mm. I mean, it's, uh, it's much easier, I think, for most people to come forward and say, there's no such thing as ghosts and here's why. And it'll sound perfectly logical that they'll be wrong. But uh, but it's hard to find the flaws in their logic because it is well thought out. Uh, it's much braver, I think, for someone that uh, explains why the paranormal does exist and and uh, suffers the slings and arrows of people, you know, thinking you're nuts. I think what's really interesting uh, about yourself and and your and your work and how you're describing this is that. You're not saying, oh, this is a photo, like, believe me. You're saying, I, I'm not, like, you're, you're uh, trying to debunk yourself. Yes. And yes. it seems like you've tried every way to do that and kind of hit dead ends. I was a dog chasing its tail for a long time. And for the first, you know, people ask, well, how did you feel, you know, when you first took the picture? I mean, my ghost story wanted me to say, oh, I was scared out of my wits. Right. Uh, that was not how I felt. Um for about 17 hours, I was so confused by what I saw, and it went counterintuitive to everything I thought about ghosts and ghost photos, that I was, I was, I was, I literally, my brain was just going around in circles, and at a few times I'm like going, am I just crazy? I mean, and that's really how the, when, when you experience paranormal, I've talked to a lot of people, and the first reaction is it's so strange that your first reaction is, have I just lost my mind? Did I just see that? Or did I just hear that? You know, before fear, that's what your, yeah. your mind kind of goes yeah. to first. Yeah. Uh, I never got creeped out by the photo. I mm. found it, uh, it interesting. Now, had I seen it subliminally pop up and pop out real right. quick, um, then yeah, it would have creeped me out. But ultimately, I guess after thinking about it for years, it, it, made sense now that number one it wanted me to take that photo it was in my opinion it was kind of punking me it wanted to be seen it wanted yeah yeah and that some things that we we need to rethink what we think about ghosts for one thing uh ghosts if they're solid enough uh it means that they have mass and if they have mass then they should be able to produce a shadow second of all Ghosts must move at a very different speed than what we think they do, and definitely a different speed than what we move in. And so what seems to be half a second is like very fast to us. It must be slow or can be slow to them where they can literally just time it. So they move at a way accelerated speed? I think so. Yeah. yeah, even that shadow that I saw at the Mission Inn, when it ducked back, it ducked back very fast, faster than what a human could do. What do you think, a, in your opinion, uh, what do you think a ghost is? I mean, I always have mentioned to other guests that if we were having a similar conversation that I, I always believed, or not always believed, but I, I kind of rationalize or think of a ghost is like if we were living in a hologram like Elon Musk <laughs> believes, that it's some kind of glitch in the system, maybe like something that someone dies and they haven't been totally erased from the program, and maybe there's traces of them are still 
a lot around that could be detected or you know like if we're in a multi-universe sort of deal where there's um you know millions and billions of parallel or you know universes with slight differences uh and we're connected some way possibly through gravity or something that there's some overlap i don't know i'm just throwing out all all of that's possible all of that's on the table um what does it what does it mean to you well i have many different theories uh Here's what I did when I did the book. Let me just give you the groundwork uh, real quick. Is that when I decided I was going to scrap the idea of a movie star fake website and instead go back and do see if my vintage style photo shoots is actually, in fact, stirring up the paranormal activity in these locations. It's actually a paranormal theory called the theory of familiarization. So which is meaning that you are stirring up the ghosts, otherwise they're dormant? Is that um, kind of the idea? What I wanted, I'm going under the uh, pre- pretense or going under the theory that ghosts can see us, and I'll get back to what definition of ghosts, but okay. if there's an intelligent energy, which is, that's how I like to describe ghosts, okay. is an that's, intelligent like energy. Mm-hmm. If there's an intelligent energy hanging around, then we should theoretically be able to play mind games with it as they apparently or, or they are accused of doing with us. So you could communicate. So you can some. you can turn the tables on them. You can get if you create a familiar environment, something that they may recognize, they may get confused and come forward and try to interact. So if it's there's supposedly a Edwardian era ghost in a place, bring in a few people in that area where this Edwardian ghost has been seen. Put people dressed in Edwardian clothing in there doing stuff that actions that edwardian people would do in that time put in a few items antiques from that era in that place i have to ask is that why you do the photography that you do from that classical hollywood that's what that's that's what it became yes that's what it became so Um, so you're trying to to kind of lure them right i want us to be the the hunted i'm not ghost hunting I'm giving them the chance to hunt us. This is sort of a, a bait. You're throwing yeah, out some bait. We to are all, yeah, I, I used to joke to the models that said, we're all ghost bait. You know, from the moment <laughs> we walk into this room for the next four days, we're going to be ghost bait. And um, does, that, does that scare them? Does sometimes them? it does. Yeah. Sometimes it does. I, I, I've had some get so scared that they have to leave. Yeah. It's mostly just a mental condition on their part because I keep telling them, look, you know, you've got all the power. Ghosts don't really have that much power. If you, they, they, they can open doors, you know, and you go, oh, that's strong. But how mm. many times have you opened a door every day and no one counts it? And no one goes, oh, you're strong. But well, the, I was always open that door. <laughs> I was always under the impression that they or I don't know why I was under this impression that they couldn't pick up physical things. But you're. In your experience, they could. And also, I had a childhood friend um, who had a, he grew up in a house in upstate New York. They had a, um, they called in uh, like a spiritual professional because they were experiencing all this bizarre stuff in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. primarily like pots falling and being hurled across the room. That's poltergeist activity, yeah. And the house they lived in was at one point a nursery, like in the 1800s or something. Okay. And there were uh, a couple kids that had died there through some tragic accident. They did research on this, but they were suspected that that's what was causing this activity yeah. but they experienced um specifically 
activity in the kitchen where things were falling right. in the middle of the night and being thrown. Right. Um, so I, I was always under the impression that ghosts couldn't pick up physical objects. It takes but, quite a bit of energy to do it. That's why they don't do it a whole lot. And it's usually a one-on-one-off kind of thing. And you may, they may have to recharge. I mean, that again, I'm talking theory. Yeah. That uh, it feeds on energy. It is energy. It t- requires energy to, to form words without uh, a, you know, a larynx, vocal cords, right. a mouth. But it's all manipulating energy, and that's why ghost voices or even, they sound a little weird. They mm. don't quite sound. Sometimes they can sound. They can mimic a human voice really well, but mm. oftentimes the voice will be either sing song, because it may be searching for frequencies like pitch, to yeah. use, or it'll sound almost a little bit on the lifeless side. So it's basically trying to use what energy that it can. And, and again, this is theory. I can't prove it. When anything. you say lifeless, you mean like monotone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, almost lacking in emotion when they, they speak. When they speak. Interesting. Um, but back to an earlier question, I, I kind of define ghosts as um, intelligent energy. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, I, what I did is once I put that theory in place, I knocked out all other theories off the table yeah so no 3 a.m magic hour no discussion or thought given to heaven or hell and the existence of god or whatever all that's or how ghosts play into religion all that's taken off the table that there's some kind some kind of purgatory yeah all holding the, chamber sort the, of deal portals the notion of portals and doors where ghosts can enter in and out from different you know all that's taken off the table it, it's all conjecture anyway um and or and also thought forms, whereas like if you get enough people and they believe in a ghost, then we Created create the ghost. Yeah, throw all that stuff out. It's just let's start over with just the bare basics, and then if something happens that falls into line or supports these theories, we'll start putting it back. So I just wanted to start over again because I've heard all of this stuff, and quite frankly, it gets very confusing. I mean, when you when you get people telling you, "Well, I'm not psychic, I'm an empath," mm-hmm. it's like, well, "What's the difference?" Right. Or that's not a ghost; that's a spirit. And and there's a difference between a ghost and a spirit and an entity. And and it's like, no, 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 no. We're you know, all we're doing is adding layers of paint to a sandcastle. It's going to crumble. It's not going to stick. Mm-hmm. Let's just throw all that stuff out for now, and let's just start bare bones basic do ghosts exist um is it something from the past is it a personality is it uh you know a dictionary definition of a ghost of someone who had lived once lived they they're dead the body's dead but there's a part of their um energy that has stayed behind Mm -hmm. uh i think we give ghosts way too much credit for a lot of stuff for instance to this day i don't let's say it is someone from the past and they retain some degree of intelligence how much intelligence i mean are they as bright as they were when they were alive or is it just are are they only given or is this intelligent energy only retaining 15 25 percent of what they once knew you know all of this stuff can they really hear us all the time can they see us all the time also are they on a loop like like a tape just playing over and over again doing the same action well that's one thing i uh, that's one of the things i i tabled as well mm-hmm. 
there's a long-standing belief, and it shouldn't be a long-standing belief, but it's a separation of uh, residual versus intelligent energy. And I'm thinking, I haven't seen anything that supports this, to be honest with you. I, I have found something that seems to be residual by that by that definition, but at the same time, there's something intelligent right next to it. Mm. So I'm almost wondering if the residual is actually not being something absorbed in the wood or in the stone uh, that's released under certain barometric temperature change. Maybe it is, in fact, an extension of an intelligent ghost, just another means for which they can project hmm. a thought, project. If they can, my feeling is if they can manifest looking like they're wearing clothes because clothes don't die right uh so there shouldn't be ghost clothes but yet you're seeing you know or hearing stories of ghosts wearing clothes and if they can form words without a mouth then what's to say that they can't project a thought or an emotion that's very logical or a series of sounds i mean we we can do it inside our own heads sure we can recollect exact conversations what if that's what they're doing? Mm. And so maybe that time loop or that loop isn't really a loop, except maybe it's a loop in, in the mind of the intelligent ghost and it's projecting. It's looking for a loved one. It's looking for, it's trying to convey an idea and we're misinterpreting it. Maybe that's what the, maybe that's where, where we, we should be looking when we think about residual versus intelligent. Why do you think that there's not, there's people that take ghost and paranormal hunting seriously, mm-hmm. but they're generally by um, society standards viewed as quacks or, or nuts or it's just like a, you know, a strange hobby that they have. Why is it not taken seriously? Like, why isn't there more research in, you know, serious research by universities or something like that, scientists that, into paranormal there or, used, or is there, and I'm not, I just don't know about it. No, nah, there used to be, I mean, even the U.S. government looked into, like, psychic ability, because if they could use it as a war weapon, yeah. you know, they, they could. The problem with uh, that is that it, we're talking about paranormal, and I always tell non-believers and uh, the real hardcore skeptics, because I'm skeptical of them as well, uh, even though I share many, many values with them, uh, it, it's 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 quite funny actually it's paradoxical but uh, the problem is is that there's no money in it I mean if if we could prove that ghosts if we could prove that if ghosts existed that you know we could put that information to put a man in space put a man on Mars or cure cancer right money would be put into it the reason why there's there's been no uh, money put into it is no one sees how to cash in and, and make money on it and mm. science really does follow the dollar these days true so so they're not going to get funded second of all um, it we're talking paranormal and you know all these stupid million dollar challenges to prove that you know the paranormal exists I mean, even Houdini had one, and he was uh, more of a believer than, say, James Randi, which isn't saying much, because um, James Randi isn't a believer at all. All of this was just a, a parlor trick, because the criteria that they expect 
uh, people to follow in order to prove that the paranormal exists is, uh, is a big paradox because if you are talking about bringing someone in under a controlled scientific conditions and you have to recreate a paranormal experience over and over again, aren't you asking the paranormal to actually become normal in order to prove that it's paranormal? through through uh, repetition and getting the same results over and over again. I think the, the standard by which we use for proving some things that way works. I, I don't think it works for the paranormal. I think you've got to come up with a, a better way to do it. I see the paradox that you're, you're, you're presenting. But even just evidence, which I, I know that, you have a like a photograph and you have recordings and right. that is evidence but um it's almost like life on another planet if you detect uh, uh even if it's a microorganism you yeah. know that there's life on another planet right if you detect and we have concrete evidence it passes whatever standards that there are that there is it doesn't it prove then ultimately that there's an afterlife that there are i mean it would answer so many fundamental questions that humans have been searching for for thousands of years. There's enough evidence out there that should be able to sway people by now. Unfortunately, there's a lot of garbage out there that muddies the water completely, and that's another problem. Uh, um, one of the major problems are, in fact, I hate to say it, but what the television and what media puts forward as paranormal stuff. So like the show you're rec or you're talking about, I mean, they're obviously cashing in on advertising and stuff and they have a, their uh, goal is to create entertaining television. They don't right. really care about the, the right. ethics of, of what we're talking about. Uh, they do to a degree. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not out to trash television shows or, or blame them or, or any way. It's just the nature of the beast. And it's right. been that way for long before television. Uh, it's, it's not putting critical thinking skills. It's not doing due diligence. A lot of times it's just going with, uh, urban legends and repeating urban legends over and over again and building on urban legends, uh, rather than going through and actually testing. And it does attract people that are into ghost hunting just for the thrill of it. So they're, they're not interested. Um, I keep trying to tell people that the number one thing, the number one tool every ghost hunter should have, every serious ghost hunter should have, is like a library card membership or access to newspapers.com and genealogy mm. bank and understand how to do serious research into a property. Because this, again, ties back to what my definition of a haunting is. It's uh, a piece of history that has lingered behind. Sometimes it's in the form of someone that had formerly lived mm -hmm. uh why are they connect uh haunting one place and not another my theory is it's uh, an emotional attachment somehow it could be through a tragic event it could be through love they just absolutely love the place and it could be outside as well it doesn't have to be a physical place it doesn't have to be a brick and mortar place or does it I think it does. It does it have to be a it, leans, it leans more toward that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you will meet people that will say, "Oh, I can get an EVP in my backyard. I can get right. you know, you can." And and there are certain psychics, and well, what about there's a, a psychic belief that we can, like for instance, you and I could have a séance right here in your non-haunted apartment. You know? I hope. 
It might and, be haunted. I just haven't experienced it. Right. And we should be able to contact anybody. Right. I mean, that was the whole purpose of those Houdini seances. I mean, when they held the last one on the roof of the Hollywood Knickerbocker Hotel uh, in the 30s, Harry Houdini had never set foot in that hotel. He was dead before that hotel even opened. So I'm not for, so people are trying to re- uh, resurrect or bring the ghost yeah. of Harry Houdini to Oh yeah, ever since a he, lot of people? ever since he died. Okay. Yeah, and it's more of a gimmick and publicity stunt anyway. Okay. But um Houdini had said that, you know, he had apparently made a pact with his wife that if he dies first that he would do his best to try to come back. And so on Halloween night... That would be his greatest magic trick ever. Right. Uh, Because he was such a skeptic, but he still had a little sliver in him that wanted to bleed really bad, you know. So that's why he made that deal. And, um, of course, the seances were ridiculous. And there was no way back then, the the standards that they had, Mm -hmm. there's no way that that they were going to get any trace of Houdini because hauntings tend to be subtle most of the time. And, and they were expecting, for instance, on the rooftop of the Hollywood Knickerbocker, they were, they were asking Harry Houdini to fire a gun or to, to blow a trumpet. It's like, I couldn't right. even do that alive. You right. know? I mean, I might be able to fire a gun, but well, he's going to travel back it. from the afterlife to play a trumpet. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it was Satchmo, I can see, you know, Hey, blow, blow right. this horn, yeah, you know, yeah. But this, we're talking Houdini. He's bigger than that. He's better than that. You right. know, it, it's like just say hello. Uh, don't, don't, don't. None of this uh, theatrical stuff. Mm. And so no wonder. Oh, he didn't blow the trumpet. He didn't show up, or he didn't do this. He didn't show up. But they also didn't pick a place where he was emotionally attached to either. So that may make a difference too, because I'm not so sure that ghosts can just travel anywhere they want. Do you think everyone? that's deceased can come back in, um, in that way if they that's one of my big gnawing questions M- one of my questions is let's take harry houdini what if he wanted to come back but something prevented him from coming back there was uh the amargosa opera house and hotel in death valley junction uh marta beckett was a resident there for many many years and she became a local legend, painting her murals and protecting her artwork. She was a dancer that fell in love with the place in the 1960s. She ended up, in time, owning this ghost town, and people would drive for miles to see her perform and to look at her artwork. Well, she died, you know, not too long ago. But prior to that, she kept telling people on the record that, you know, if she can, she'll come back and be a ghost and haunt that place to protect her legacy. Uh, I have not heard any reports of anyone contacting her directly. Maybe they have. Maybe people have claimed to do that. But I'm not positive whether or not she has that ability to do that, if she could. Mm. It's weird. And that's one of my pressing questions. I mean, I kind of think that we have some degree of free will after we die, as we have some degree of free will as we live. I always, when people ask me questions about why do certain ghosts haunt certain places, uh, especially if they died there, you know, what's, why are they still hanging around? And, you know, I try to say, well, you know, think about it. If you were born 
uh, let's say, is from a, a strong Catholic family, and you were you were taught to believe in heaven and hell and judgment, and let's say the Great Depression forced you to do things that you were taught as a kid not to, and anyone that goes into drugs or alcohol or prostitution or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, they all go in with the same mentality that I can stop at any time I want. It's only a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up consuming them. It, they find out that it, it once they get into the system and it gets into them, it's They're very stuck. hard to get out of. Let's say someone fell into a bad time and they died as a result of it. They may wake up or leave their body and they, they don't see an angel. They don't see any demons dragging them off to judgment so they're like going okay i'm safe here i'm staying here and i'm just going to be just keep to my business all right i'm here you know um they're they're, they they may have that mentality you never know um that it's not that bad here i'll just hang out because there might be something worse and there's always there's always the theory that maybe they may not even know that they're dead that it happened while they were asleep or it happened so suddenly. And so they're just going through their regular motions. I think personally, I think most ghosts know they're dead by mm-hmm. now. Cause they would have to figure out, I would imagine at some yeah, point. That. But there, there will always be some degree of confusion, I would imagine. And then for instance, there was a, when they tore down the Hollywood hotel in the 1950s, mm. it's now the site of, uh, Hollywood and Highland, that shopping center. Okay. Uh, with the elephants, and it's like the old intolerance set okay. uh, that they reproduced. Uh, I, I came across a really kind of heartbreaking story about some of these longtime tenants that were being evicted. And they had interviewed, I think it was an LA Times reporter interviewed a, one of the seniors that were being evicted from the Hollywood Hotel. And she, she literally told the reporter, she said, I had hoped to haunt this place when I was gone because she had loved it so much. So what's to say that maybe some people are sticking around, in fact, because they can and because if they could choose their heaven, their idea of heaven, maybe that would be it. So they're hanging on because the alternative might be worse or they might not know what the alternative is or this is is just their idea of heaven yeah sometimes a building is so beautiful or a location is so beautiful that that's their idea of heaven i I will say this and i say this as a joke but a lot of the really expensive suites like at the mission inn and hotel they're haunted and i'm like going wow these ghosts have taste yeah yeah. they go for the big dollar rooms. you know same thing with the pierpont inn as well their most expensive rooms seem to be the most paranormally active too was uh, uh, we I went to the the Stanley Hotel in Colorado where Stephen King wrote The Shining. Yes, they get a they get a lot of tourism. Oh yeah, for that paratourism is very big. We yeah. wouldn't have the Queen Mary. Oh, Queen Mary, yeah, we were just there it. without it. Yeah. Um, to uh, they they had a cool Halloween thing. Uh, Halloween thing. Um, I think it's called Dark Harbor. Yeah, yeah, it's like a huge Halloween maze. But we went on. It was my first time on the Queen Mary. Do you uh, have you had any experience with the Queen Mary? Any minor, but yes, yeah. minor, but yes. Um, it's not as haunted, in my opinion, as what they most make it out to be. Make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, it got greatly exaggerated, and that's that's one of those places where I always felt that ghost hunting groups that go there, it's almost like a bully peer pressure that if you go there and you're investigating and you don't find paranormal activity, you're not a good group, you know. Oh, you didn't do it right. Yeah, or you didn't do it right. Or so I think a lot of people are just so pressured to find paranormal activity that they end up finding stuff and promoting stuff that isn't paranormal at all, but they're yeah. saying it's paranormal. Um, interestingly enough, uh, most people don't realize the the real history of the Queen Mary. I mean, they'll know everything about its history at sea. But there's a whole bunch of history that is getting ignored, and that's from the point that it arrived uh, in Long Beach and during the conversion of it into a tourist attraction. What's interesting is that the ghost stories were definitely going around during the transition. And in fact, it was Hans Holzer, the late great paranormal author, he got wind that the Queen Mary was haunted and he actually requested uh, permission to do a paranormal investigation there and that's when the city of Long Beach kind of froze up and said okay no we're gonna put in our own no ghost policy and they tried to stop everyone from talking about it it didn't work very well I'm sorry so the city of Long Beach actually passed a resolution they didn't pass a resolution it was just a policy okay so but it's something that they discussed at like a city council meeting is there a record of that? I, I'm not sure. I think it was the office uh, that was assigned to supervise it. There was a superintendent or whatever. Okay. And it was just the policy. It was like, Hans Holzer, I don't want him here. You okay. Know? So it's more uh, of an unspoken sort was, of deal. Like, Well, it got published. It got okay. published uh, by one of the reporters who basically outed what was going on and even gave the name of the local politician at the time in his office as to as the one that decided to put a freeze on talk. Do you know when approximately? Early 70s, 71. Okay. Interesting. 70s, 71. Um, the ghost stories certainly go way before then. Right. The ghost stories of children go back to the 50s. That was a shock to me. But they definitely were being heard in the 60s as well. And um, interestingly enough, let me get back on point, uh, in in the 1970s, there was this no ghost policy, but people were still talking about it, and uh, and I completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, I didn't point. mean to derail you. <laughs> but uh, but uh, oh, here's what here's what happened. The city of Long Beach, you know, they had done all kinds of studies because they were really anticipating big crowds and that this was going to be a big money maker. And what they found out was that they had overgutted the ship, which is now a building. And uh, they had overgutted it, and nothing lived up to expectations. And according to a study around 73, 74, people were visiting it and not coming back. And so they were hemorrhaging money. People were just going one time. And when they once they opened up the paranormal stuff and started actually letting people talk about the ghosts, tourism skyrocketed people start going back more yeah. than once. And that has been, that's why they're, even though I think there probably are, will always be executives that are in city officials that are going, Oh, not the ghost again, not the ghost again. However, none of them, uh, 
want to get rid of it because they'll just be killing off what business that they have. I mean, the Queen Mary's lost money uh, majorly, but it would have been sold for scrap and shut down years ago if not for the paratourism that, that flourished. It's surprising to me that the politicians uh, that you're referring to uh, frown upon the ghost tourism because if it the you know their bottom line is dollars, like you would think, well, who cares if it's ghosts or if it's you know architecture or whatever it is, you know if it Every, brings people in, who cares? Everyone has a different uh, view on it. Uh, the The Hotel Del Coronado does really well with its marketing of Kate Morgan, but it took them to it, it took an till the 1980s before they were ready to finally officially acknowledge that it's haunted. And the main reason why they even acknowledged that it was haunted was because in 1983, a Secret Service agent was in their haunted room at the time, uh, and he was on detail protecting Vice President George H. Bush. And he called up late at night and didn't ask for a room change. He asked for a building change after he got spooked in the room he was staying in. Well, once you get the U.S. government involved, you can't keep secrets anymore, and you had to fess up because it mm. became a national news item. Um, the Aztec Hotel in Monrovia, currently owned by a Chinese family. Yeah, there's another one I wanted to ask you about. I know you have a lot of experience. Yeah, I'm, their, I'm their main historian. I'm, I'm pretty much, until my book comes out and I share all the information with uh, readers, I will be the building historian well i not to um I, I just wanted to mention quickly that's also what's fascinating about you because you're not just a photographer you're not just a paranormal investigator you're also uh a historian a history buff yeah. right or historian yeah. hist history I've, buff i've become the main historian of a number of properties as a result of what i've done yeah. so you know a lot of this background you're not you're you're uh, versed in all of these things. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I fact-checked historians as well. I mean, it wasn't just paranormal people I were fact-checking. I was fact-checking historians. As, and uh, I, I was surprised. I'm laughing uh, because you'd be surprised how many historians got it wrong. Mm. Or they, they weren't fact-checking themselves. Uh, they were just repeating what the book before them had said. So going back to, like, the original sources and, you know, Fact-checking is the year that, it, you know, Wikipedia says this building is built. Is it accurate? Right. Which and is you so find important. out that it isn't. Yeah. Because nowadays, like, like fake news has been brought into the spotlight, right. you know, and um, blogs that, you know, pretend to be uh, news sources, but that are just kind of spewing bullshit or, you know, whatever, the clickbait stuff that they have going on. Uh, it's important to tell people the truth and the facts and as best that you can, like I was mentioning, um, the Georgian, I believe it was a convalescence home. I want people to go out and research that themselves, not telling it as a fact. If I don't know something, you know, um, I, I'll say that I think not a lot of people do that. Right. Unfortunately, alternative facts are alive and well yeah. in the paranormal field. Sure. Especially in that field. Yes. So I, I didn't mean to, I know you're talking about the Aztec. And, well, um, yeah, the owners are Chinese. And so it's a cultural thing with why they're backing off and scared of promoting the paranormal. What is the cultural reason? Well, aside from, I think Confucius saying, yeah, ghosts exist, but don't mess with them. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> um, 
the Chinese, they, they have something similar to Day of the Dead, except I, I now keep in mind, I'm, I'm saying this with a, a little bit of a twinkle in my eye, but you know, the, the main difference that I've been able to ascertain is like in, in Mexico and Latin American countries that do this, they really honor and cherish. They put out lavish feasts. They light candles. They put, you know, they do makeup and they, 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 they do dances and they, they, they know how to throw a party right. in remembering the dead. Chinese, it just, from what I gather, it just seems like they just put out food and run away. <laughs> it's like, Cause they don't want to It's like experience what they're happens. scared. Yeah. And it's almost like instead of celebrating them, it's almost like they're paying them off like they're the mob in China. Okay. You know, so to, here, take this and leave and, me alone. And, and don't hurt me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um and so because of that, I don't you know, I don't get a lot of Chinese buyers for my book or go to the tours. They're they're just a, and Russia is the same way, and Russia's a neighbor to uh, China. And for instance, you won't see ghost hunters or ghost adventures in Russia or the, the Russian equivalent. They'll rip off everything else. Yeah, they'll have their own version of "Here Comes Honey Boo Boo," <laughs> or you know, or some stupid you know other uh, reality show. But they won't do paranormal themed stuff, even though their own history is very dark. That's interesting. The different way cultures handle paranormal yes they're they're much more superstitious though than americans too Mm. and you know in america uh you know it seems like every poll there's a new poll coming out and it wavers between 50 percent believing in ghosts to 75 percent they'll drop down to 50 they'll go down to 45 and um you know, we, we tend to be focused on material things so much in this country, and ghosts aren't material enough. Um, so, you know, we'd much rather be talking about politics and the cold, hard reality of the stock market, you know, right, right. rather than uh, talk about, you know, some things of the other... Things spiritual in nature. Yeah, spiritual in nature, whereas uh, in Russia, the spiritual thing kind of spooks them. And in hmm. China, one theory I read is that, you know, countries that were have been long have a long history of oppression of people um whether it be dictatorship or just lack of a democracy or democratic society don't want those people to come back and haunt them well they just want to have some degree of control in their lives mm. and they maybe the paranormal takes even just that away from them as mm. well oh, okay i see what you're saying I thought you meant the uh, the people on the top of the the dictatorships didn't want the dead people to come back and no we haunt killed them. you once what are you doing <laughs> here we, back we killed you once yeah uh, I don't know I, you know it was a funny thing when I was in St Petersburg uh, less than ten years ago I wanted to go to that house where Rasputin was like they tried to kill him like seven eight times mm-hmm. you know before they finally dumped him shot stab poisoned everything into the river you know and uh and i barely missed the tour and and see i had heard that that basement area where rasputin spent his last living hours um was haunted and they even had wax figures you know so i wanted to see that and uh the babushkas that ran the museum i was like less than five minutes late and I was ready to pay more just to join the party late and Mm. they said no no the party's full you can't come back and I said but no you don't understand 
I, I came all the way. I want to see this. And I'll, how much do you want? And, she, and they were like, you don't want to go down there. It's like, that's not the most beautiful part of the building. This is the best part. This is what you should be seeing. Right. They wouldn't let me take the tour or, or go down there. And Did there they was, know who you were? Is that why? They, they were No. They didn't know who I was. I barely knew who I was at that time. <laughs> so uh, so I just thought their their attitude was so different, you know. Um, they just, they only had one tour a day for that basement and they were like, just scared. It's like, they're scared of their own shadow there. And, and, uh, it was bad. Uh, I was, I was kind of upset about it because what I had done and, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. I learned that, but I had actually accidentally crashed and was part of that tour. And then. I felt bad about it that I, once I realized, Hey, I, I crashed this tour, you know? So then I went back and said, look, I was part of the tour. I didn't really pay, but I'm here to pay, you know? So you, so I can you snuck in? I didn't or? sneak in. It's okay. just that there was a big crowd there and I just, just walked over to hear what it was and filtered in. And yeah, and yeah. had I not said anything, I would have been part of the tour and got to see everything. Uh, but, but you I, were trying to be a good person. I wanted and, to be the good person right. and go and say, okay, I'm yeah. going to pay for yeah, this. I want to pay for my ticket. Yeah, and join. And then they said no. And I was like, but do you realize <laughs> I could have just, just stayed yeah, there and seen and it all? It for free. Yeah. Um, and they said, that's okay. We it's still no. Wow. You know? That's strange. So, yeah, I, it, it, they just had a real weird take on it all it's like they didn't really want to promote it the hauntings you know i would like to know more about the aztec uh, before i do is it too dark in here no i'm gonna turn the light on oh no okay it's fine because this light is really bright i hate to turn it on but i could i just realized uh because it's getting darker earlier now that it's uh pretty dim but if you're all right i'm all right oh i'm fine okay um the aztec um is a place that you investigate you did a paranormal investigation there or you were it was another uh situation where you're doing a, a shoot i did a little bit of everything there i mean i my i first went there in 2009 and started paranormal paranormal investigating there in 2009 and i as far as i know uh through research my own research and researching others i'm probably the first one that ever documented paranormal activity there i mean seriously documented it with voice recorders if i wasn't the first i was darn near at the top Mm -hmm. now i'm not the first person to paranormal investigate not by a long stretch there were quite a few before me but they weren't coming up with anything that was i thought was credible or or accurate for that matter did you do something different than them that were that uh you got results from Yes, I was honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, for starters. Uh, second of all is I, I was skeptical and I had, a, I had control of the environment, mm. um, which they ne- never did. Uh, it's very hard so I, uh, to control the environment because it's a noisy hotel with people roaming around. And uh, so I would pick the slow night, Sunday night, Usually everything's closed and go down into the basement by myself or with just a few people that I trusted. And we would hang out there, not just for an hour or 30 minutes, but we'd hang out there for about five hours with our recorders going. Now, did you do the ghost bait thing where you were dressed in a certain time period of clothing? Or Not, not in the beginning. Now, eventually I did 
similar some stuff that was eventually moving in that direction like i brought in a i brought in a recorder uh, uh like old cds of 1930s 1940s music and and i'd play it on a computer in room 120 and then i'd turn it off and do an evp session and we did actually catch an evp not me but one of my friends paul griffith uh who is a, a very good paranormal investigator himself he actually caught a really strong evp doing that he always credits me with you know helping him understand how that process works but he he's good on his own can you tell us what the the voice said or is thought to have said uh you can find it online i believe on youtube but i think he he it's said uh just want to go or something like that mm, interesting over the music but it was loud and it was a male voice in a room that was supposed to be haunted by a female go mm. figure uh, i have since learned that that's exactly what it is uh, it's not a female ghost in room 120 it's actually maybe one or two different ghosts that that go there and it may be female at times maybe male at times maybe both at the same time but um the legend of a woman that fell and hit her head on a space heater, you know, there's two versions. One was, uh, was a newlywed uh, on her wedding night, you know, fell off the bed during intercourse and hit her head and died. Uh, the other story has to do with a prostitute that brought a John, her client, up from the basement where the speakeasy was, and they got in a fight over the price, shoving match. Uh, he shoved her in, she fell, hit her head on the water heater, and he left her to die. <clears throat> None of that stuff happened. Um, complete urban legend. It was actually made up by a psychic in, I want to say, 1999. So then someone took the story and just kind of ran with it? How do, how do those LA things Times, stay alive? Thanks oh, the to the LA, LA Times. Really? <laughs> yeah. So they, they published that as fact, that that, that actually happened? Did they, they do a correction or anything? They didn't do a correction. What they did, is, it's a, it was a very good reporter, uh, but she brought in and interviewed two psychics. Oh, she interviewed the psychics. Yeah. It's not that they reported it as fact, then it no, wasn't fact. But but she didn't fact check the psychics. She just went with oh. what the psychic said, and she was neutral about it. Okay. So She didn't look into the actual history. And see, that's that's how most of the urban legends start, with a, an article by the L.A. Times where they don't cast shade on what psychics are saying. Mm -hmm. They just go with it with that, you know, impartiality to it. I've never heard of... Uh, and I, then another writer will pick up on it, and yeah. then they will strip the title of psychic from that person, and then they'll start saying, some people say... Well, right. It's been said. They'll, yeah. they'll start going, throwing out these cliches. And, and that's one of the things that I avoid in my book. You will, never, uh, I, you will never hear the cliche, some people check in, but they never check out. You right. know? Um, and I try very hard to, say, to avoid some people say or they say because I'm asking the questions, Who's they? Right, exactly. I want to know who said it. Right. I want to know when it was said. Who's the source? Yeah, and don't tell me old-timers say. Right. Uh, I mean, that's great for a, a television intro, but for anyone that's, like, really serious, what old-timers? Let's right. get names. Let's find out when these stories were told. Sure. I think especially as a reporter, you have a responsibility to do that. I'm surprised they interviewed psychics in the first place unless they... 
were doing uh, a piece of of like a Halloween fun. Sometimes kind of piece. It, sometimes it's it is that yeah. in itself. And uh, but again, that's how these stories kind of get ba- bastardized and okay. changed, and then it becomes it it just becomes urban legend at mm. that point. Once you strip the fact that it came from the mouth of a psychic, and you just say instead of saying such and such from Alhambra said this. Uh, and you just say, you just cut to the chase and say a woman may have died or it, people say a woman died in that room right. on her honeymoon. Uh, you repeat it enough, then it becomes, people start believing it, it, that it really happened. Sure. And when I first came into, to, you know, to the Aztec in 2009, I had heard those stories. I had actually bought a book by Jeff Dwyer called, you know, Ghost Hunter's Guide to Los Angeles. His stuff was uh, was my it was my Bible when I bought it in the '90s, but then when I started visiting these places and actually researching, I realized this guy is just making things up and ripping off what other people are saying, changing the words around. And and the one thing that became very apparent is he never set foot in these buildings. Oh wow! Uh, so he's writing about architectural details that is are that it's supposed to be a wrong. nonfiction book. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! It was like a a, a big seller. He wow. still goes around. Uh, you know, passing himself off as an expert, and mm. and uh, he, it it was good for what it was. I mean, it, if it brought people like me to the Aztec Hotel asking questions, then bravo for him because that's exactly what it accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I'm not out to like really trash people. Yeah, but, but at the same time, oh, it's very frustrating when and and some of the stuff becomes very obvious that it's fake or or just not even accurately portrayed for instance his entry on the aztec hotel had something to do with a woman named jerry lynn who hanged herself uh she had a relationship with a movie actor that went sour and so she hanged herself in the closet of room 129 while everyone was celebrating the end of prohibition in the basement well, that makes no sense since Prohibition did not end in 1929. It ended mm. in 1933. And what movie star? Again, right. who's Jerry Lynn? And, right. and why are these ghosts named after... Why are so many ghosts named after two first names? Right. So you can't do any kind of research when someone's named Sylvia Michael or, yeah. or Jerry Lynn... You know, it, it's it's impossible. It, to me, it's like this is an old parlor trick that psychics use all the time. Mm. Pick two g- generic names that no one can research. merge them together. Yeah. So there's no um, requirement for like to put um, according to L.A. Times, you know, number uh, August fifteenth, nineteen fifty three. That's where I got this. Like you're not citing your data anywhere. You're just kind of pulling it out of the air. It sounds like. Uh, not me. Uh, uh, not, I'm, I'm sorry. Not, yeah. I'm not, no, I'm my not book saying actually. You, but I'm saying. Yeah, my book is actually footnoted, so yeah. uh, it's heavily footnoted, which is unheard of for a paranormal book. Right. Uh, because I want people to know, you know, because I'm saying a lot of things that people are going to balk at because people have tend, grown to love these urban legends. And they've been repeating them for years, uh, telling their kids, repeat, you know, telling other people at the hotel, whatever, uh, reading them in other books. So they really believe that they exist. So when the book comes along and says something else, it's jarring to them 
and it was jarring to me as a researcher because some of the stuff I was kind of believing too. And then suddenly I find out, oh, not another myth. Yeah. You know? So uh, I needed to cite that so that if anyone, you know, accuses me of lying or making things up um, just to be different, Mm -hmm. uh, no, you can look up the source itself. And I tried real hard to connect the dots correctly. Yeah. Because it is very easy to not not connect the dots history is mysterious in its own right sure can i ask are you using microfilm or something like where what's a good source of information when you're doing that type of research it's a mixture of a lot of things um i i would say that the most valuable single resource is a subscription to newspapers.com or genealogy bank and Ancestry.com. Don't mess with the others so much unless unless they have a newspaper that's local to the property that you're checking out. Yeah, I guess there's so many modern things. I, I'm, I guess in my head I'm visualizing you in a library looking at microfilm. Oh, I did that too. Yeah. I did that too. You know, with the Aztec Hotel, uh, when I started researching it, that's, that's where the information was. It was all on microfish. So I was spending hours every day looking at microfish, uh, the, the Monrovia Daily News. After a while, you kind of know where this, where they're going to mention the hotel, if the hotel's going to be mentioned at all. Mm. And it'll stay consistent until the newspaper changes ownership and they, they come up with a new format. Then it's like, oh, starting all over again. Yeah. Uh, and trying to figure out what sections will are they going to be talking about the Aztec. But I, I made photocopies of every mention of the Aztec that I came across. Mm. And so I've literally got thousands and thousands and thousands of, uh, of photocopied articles. It's got to be like finding a needle in a haystack, though, because it's not like doing control F on your keyboard and searching for a word. You're actually going through each paper and looking for because there's no way to, other way to search, really. Right. Not with microfish. You have to you have to scan over every single thing. And every now and then you'll come across something kind of cool, like. Uh, I came across a suicide at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. A guy drank poison, never mentioned in the L.A. papers, hmm. but it, it the, mentioned by name and the circumstances in the Monrovia papers. So I set that aside. If something like that caught my eye, I, I'd put it aside because this is valuable information later. You know, it could help someone who's trying to do the the definitive history of the ambassador. It'd be nice to know that you know about a death that got squelched by the local papers, by the hotel itself, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I say thousands and thousands and thousands. I looked at, I look. It, I don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of documents, but it just feels that way. I have probably close to five, 600 pages, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, they're like three-inch thick binders full of it's paper. A yeah, it's you a know. Lot. Old menus, items that got published in the paper, uh, decoration, any kind of social club meeting, it's all there. Because what I would do is collect all the information that I could gather, and then I'd form a timeline and start placing these things. And if there were gaps where I had questions, I'd go and dig into those gaps and see if I could find the answers. And sometimes I can. Sometimes I'll stumble onto it. The next step, uh, of course... Sometimes seeking out historians is helpful. Sometimes it's not helpful at all. Sometimes 
by the time you seek out a historian, it becomes obvious that you know more than they do well, about the property. A lot of them are uh, kind of volunteer, like it's a municipality that appoints a historian, right? That um, No, no, not, not usually. Okay. Um, in Monrovia, yeah, it is. Uh, the the town's historian, very nice man, mm. uh, but he's also uh, very heavily into local politics there. But, for instance, the uh, historians in Ventura are kind of in business for themselves, and, and I've found in some cases uh, in Ventura County the, the historians, some are real nice and helpful, others feel like you're in their territory. So are they... they private businesses because uh, like uh, places that i'm familiar with um like for example new windsor new york at every year they have a town board meeting like a reorganization meeting and they appoint their historian mm -hmm. um and it's i think maybe they get like a stipend of like fifteen hundred dollars for the year or something like that it could be that um, way uh not in ventura though a yeah. lot of them are you know they their bread and butter is getting hired by the city to go and research a property to evaluate whether it's historical or not mm -hmm. um same thing with private property owners so it's not big money but so they they're so they need to get what money they have. Some have tried to use, and this is logical, they'll try to use their uh, expertise as a historian to get hired by the property to handle its publicity. Okay. And then in cases like in San Diego with Hotel Del Coronado and the Mission Inn, they actually have their own staff historian. Same with the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary for years would hire uh, its own historian. And... Uh, is there a concern if they have this private historian that the, the historian is putting out information that just benefits the Queen Mary and that's not unbiased? They've lost some historians for telling the truth, if that's your answer. Mm. But uh, question. Uh, but yes, they do control the message. And the historians usually do work hand in hand with the publicity. And that's why I refuse to, when I did my hotel... Del Coronado, for instance, I didn't even bother contacting the, the local historians because, for one thing, they're going to be very territorial and mm -hmm. they may steer me down the wrong path or they may try to censor me mm -hmm. as they have been censored. I see. Same thing with the Mission Inn. I mean, how can you call yourself a Dawson or a historian of the Mission Inn and not be able to talk about the ghosts freely? I mean, it just seems ridiculous, right. you know? Um, because that's part of the social history. That's part of the social fabric. It's so well known that, you know, it's like, why do we keep this a secret mm -hmm. or in denial of it? Or worse, you'll run into them and they'll just poo-poo the idea, saying, oh, they say it's haunted, but it's not haunted. I stayed there plenty of times. And, uh, and um, no, it's not true. Uh, I'll give you a good case in point, another location, um, the casino at Avalon in, uh, in Catalina Island. Mm -hmm. When I first went on that casino tour, <laughs> it was uh, probably in the 1990s, and the, the guy that gave the tour, you know, the, the, the discussion of ghosts comes up. It, I might have been the one that brought it up for all I know. Uh, but he said, I've been, I grew up here and I've been doing these tours for 17 years and I can tell you that there's no ghosts here and no one has ever died on this property. And he was so certain of it. So when I went back for the book and I 
I'm shooting at the Zane Gray Pueblo, which is not far from the casino. We had a free afternoon. We were ahead of schedule on the photo shoot, so I decided to treat everybody to, let's go to the casino and take the tour. Wouldn't you know, it's the same tour guide that I had back in the 90s. Wow. And he gave the same spiel, <laughs> yeah. the same 17 years he's right. been at the place. He's probably doing it in his sleep. And saying that no deaths, therefore no ghosts. And I went back and I found a death just doing the research. So you were able to call him out? A jumper. I didn't call him out on the spot. Mm. But I, but once I've heard that same 17 years, it's like, wow, <laughs> I've aged since then. You're right. doing quite well, you know. Uh, um, but see, he was probably, you know, trained to say that. Right. Uh, they probably tell him what to say, right? And then he's just got to regurgitate it? Or? Well, it, it's pretty much almost word for word the yeah. same speech. I mean, sometimes you can just get into a rut and you just start saying the same thing over and over again right. uh, without putting any thought or right. any research. But there was, yeah. a, there was at least one death there. And if there was one death, there may be more. So I posted that death on Bizarre Los Angeles, and a, and a lot of people were like, yay, thank you, finally, finally. I'd always wondered about that. Yeah. You know? And then you had plenty of people coming through and said, no, it's haunted. You know, we've had experiences in the casino. and so I've been there. Is that sort of the white circular? Round, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind okay. of it looks like uh, Art Deco water yeah. tower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, no, it's a beautiful building. And again, why, you know, fudge details? Right. I mean, when people take a tour, they're expecting facts. They're expecting, you know. Right true stuff and and same thing with Hearst Castle I went to Hearst Castle and that's in between here and San Francisco on yeah route, yeah is it route one what what is the the oh my route? goodness yeah, yeah it's yeah. been a while but, but I know it's, it's like one, the main drag I think you there, can right? get through the one and that's the place where um William Randolph Hearst but Orson Welles uh, movie um Citizen Kane is that oh, based Xanadu. on that it's not well he Hearst owned several homes and I and that wasn't even his favorite. Okay. Um, Wintoon was probably closer to what Xanadu was based on. Okay. However, uh, Hearst Castle, which was called San Simeon in its day, they didn't refer to it. Oh, let's go to Hearst Castle. You know that came much later as a marketing thing. Thanks. Because, but it was you know everyone was going to San Simeon. Okay. And that was what that uh, mansion and surrounding little town that Hearst built uh, for really employees that worked for him at the mansion. Uh, that's what they called it, San Simeon. Um, last time I went on the tour, I flat out asked the, the Dawson, you know, what are the ghost stories? And he was, he spoke very condescendingly to me. Uh, tried to make, tried to humiliate me for actually asking. But see, I already knew the story, and I, I had—I just kept quiet. I let them say it. I'm not there to cause any scene. Right. But I had already met a security guard who told me the stories behind the Hearst Castle, and the stuff he told me about every room being mic'd and cameras in every room. Uh, I looked for it, and sure enough, I saw the mics in the rooms, just as the security guard had, had told me about it. The former security guard. So I thought it was a little disingenuous. I'm sorry. So they're spying on the the people that are doing the tour. Security, just 
Oh, around standard. The hours. So, so yeah, make sure yeah. you don't swipe anything. Or, You're right. Okay. Don't break in and yeah. you know trespass after hours. Uh, they monitor that place very closely, and it's very tight security there. So are you also saying that they are kind of scrutinizing the tour guides to make sure they don't say anything? No, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I think you can hide a camera, but unless you know how to hide the microphone, they're going to hear it. It's like a backup okay. to the security system. Okay. You know. Um, but, yeah, they have it mic'd and they have it uh, camera-wise. Oh, okay. So and uh, so that they, like I said, it, it's very well-armed to keep intruders out. Okay. And uh, I don't think they're eavesdropping and fact-checking the Dawsons. Okay. You know, the Dawsons are giving free reign to... Yeah. I mean, they have their own policies that they have to follow, you know, and, and they're trained to answer questions a certain way. Um, same thing with Mission In. They're trained to say things, but they're also told... To not say things. Yeah, to, to just kind of play it down mm -hmm. or deny it, you know, is fine. And... Um, yeah, so um, I didn't want to be anything like that. I wanted to be free to say the truth. So I didn't want to be controlled by the Hotel Del Coronado. Uh, so I, I was very big on doing independent research. Um, so it's not that I didn't meet with Dawson's at the Mission Inn. I did. Uh, and they basically confirmed what I am telling you, that they are told not to talk about the ghosts and uh but they privately confirmed that where i saw my ghost others had seen theirs too in the same section and i'm like going oh that's very interesting yeah thanks i don't feel you know i feel a little bolder now about mm -hmm. my claim you know um but i wish people would just be honest i mean you can you can say People say this, you know, right. I, but I've never encountered a ghost. That's fine. That's honest. Yeah, I can't believe why people would be so, like you said, the guy was condescending uh, yeah. in his response or yeah. people try to brush it under the, the carpet if they, someone has an experience. I mean, uh, we go to Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, once we went for the last two years, I think, or three possibly. And you just look at the tourism industry there. I mean, it's like a ghost town all year round, no pun intended. And then, um, you know, around Halloween, you can't find a parking space. You can't find a hotel. You know, it's just pandemonium. And everyone goes there for the witch tours. They want to know about the Salem witch trials and, you know, the haunted houses and the experiences people have. And it's just such a – I mean, if, even if you're just looking at it economically – it's just such a, a driver in industry, right? Um, you know that I, I just find it when, when people—that's what most people are concerned about—that they they would try to um, play that down or or say that you know it doesn't it doesn't exist. Another factor besides fear and cultural factor is uh, religious beliefs yeah. as well. Um, when I was at the Pierpont Inn, it was uh, doing my photo shoot. It was under receivership. Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about a managed company that was afraid of its own shadow. They wanted my money to rent the place because they were doing awful business, just awful. Um, there was a lot of legal uncertainty as to what the future of this property was going to be. And uh, they were very nervous and, and, and to some degree unprofessional, the receivers. I, I, I've learned after dealing with the Pierpont 
I will never shoot at a hotel that's under receivership again. I had nightmares with the Aztec when it was under receivership, and then the Pierpont, it was the same set of nightmares. It's just people, uh, they know that they're there temporarily. They're operating on a shoestring budget, and they are afraid of any kind of thing that could possibly be perceived as negative. And a lot of people perceive hauntings as negative. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, I always get a chuckle out of this, but um, I was told that their then general manager under receivership had had a paranormal experience in the Austin Pierpont suite. had to do with him spending the night there, and he wakes up the next morning and the fireplace is on Mm. when he knew for a fact that it was was turned off. It's a gas you know, fireplace, electric, gas. It's just not like you just hit the switch by mistake or something. Yeah, Yeah. well, uh, so anyway, uh, there was this online blogger that wrote something about the haunted Pierpont Inn, and then he wrote something. He didn't name names, but he said a certain general manager contacted him privately and was trying to, insisting that the place wasn't haunted and that everything's made up. and, And I had to laugh because I knew the story. Here's a guy that, had a paranormal experience going online trying to get a blogger to remove his post saying that it's not really haunted. Mm. And uh, that's what I mean by management that are literally afraid of their own shadow. And there was a day manager at the uh, Pierpont, and I actually write about this in the book. But as I was checking out, after being there five days, she says, you're not going to go post online that we're haunted, are you? Mm. And I went... No, because I was thinking, I'm, this is going to be a book, not a, I'm not doing all of this for an internet post. You right. know? So I said, no. She said, good, because I don't believe in ghosts. And I said, oh, really? And she said, yes. And uh, she said, I'm a Christian. Okay. And I said, well, what does that mean? Because I, I was being polite. Right. I was like saying, well, I believe that, you know, the Bible mentions something about Angels ghosts. and spirits, right. Yeah. I won't even go into the fact that, the, you know, Jesus coming back from the grave and it then rising ghost. is basically a ghost story. Uh, yeah. You know, um, of sorts. I mean, you can argue any way, but I mean, the, the, the patterns are very similar. Sure. Comes back from the dead. Sort of a zombie. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a cross between a zombie <laughs> and yeah, a ghost, sure. you know. Um, saying, I'll be back, and, you know, he floats up into the sky. I mean, living flesh and blood people don't do that, right? right? You know, um, just like they don't come back from the dead either. But uh, I, I didn't want to get into a, a match with that. Sure. I, was, I was trying to be old. Being respectful. I was being very respectful. Yeah. And I was saying, well, you know, I do seem to think that one of the books actually talks about ghosts and kind of advises just kind of stay away from it you know definitely don't go seek out psychics and stuff like that because you're not going to get any information from ghosts kind of thing and she's like oh really where did you get that and I said well I could look it up and maybe might send it to you she goes well what church do you go to and I said well I don't really go to a church much anymore not a regular one so she told me her church and it was like some church in Texas, you know, but it's one of those mega church, super wealthy, you know, reverend. So I'm just, again, keeping my mouth shut. Right. Don't want to get into my opinions about that kind of thing. And then, uh, 
I said, well, I don't think you have to worry about it. You know, I'm not going to be posting anything online. He said, good, because I don't want you posting. Uh, I don't want you posting online that all of our best rooms are haunted. And I walked out of there going, you know something? She's right. All of the best rooms of that place uh, were haunted. Yeah. I never put that two together. and two together. Yeah. But it was like this. It came out of her, not me. She was a clerk. She was a she was desk the day clerk. manager. Yeah, day I, manager. I, I thought that's the most unprofessional thing. Yeah, I was behavior. just thinking. I mean, any other business, they would have been fired. Sure. For that, right? You know, harass the guests. Yeah, because she was very antagonistic. I mean, yeah. she was like a pit bull. You know. I guess on the flip side of what I've been saying about it being a tourist um, attraction, maybe there are some people that would be deterred if they knew it was haunted. My sister and brother-in-law stayed at a place called the Beekman Arms, which is in Rhinebeck, New York. I want to say it's one of the oldest hotels in New York, but I, I don't don't believe me on that. I have to fact check that. But it's up there. It's 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 um it's definitely really old. And they left in the middle of the night uh, because my brother-in-law saw something he heard strange noises he heard footsteps and it wouldn't stop and they ended up just splitting at like 4 a.m and the the um i want to say bellhop but the the person at the desk downstairs um didn't ask them why are you abruptly checking out at 4 a.m it happens pretty frequently um and i don't think it, it's really on their agenda to go back there anytime soon so maybe you know maybe that is the the other side of that oh there's there's many sides uh yeah going back to the Pierpont Inn when I was there during the shoot uh the staff would tell me stories I mean the upper management no they yeah. were nervous but some of the lower staff uh and one of the stories I heard uh and I believe it was uh a lady checked in and she took the Austin Pierpont suite uh which I had referred to that was the suite where the fireplace turned on under mm. the general manager she checked out in a huff because what happened was I believe the door to the bathroom closed or she tried to open the door and it was like something on the other side of the door was holding, holding. it shut. And so it would give a little bit, but it wouldn't. Oh, shit. That's creepy. And, and if it was like for five, ten minutes, wow. it was doing that and she'd walk away, come back. And and then she she finally tried it again and it opened with absolutely no effort. That's when she packed up her things. She went down there and she said, is this place haunted? And they were like, well, some people say that it is. And she admonished them. She goes, you should have told me. Yeah. Do you, you know, think there should be like a disclaimer I think or there something? There should be. I, yeah. I honestly believe that there should be. Mm. So that works against you when you try to keep it a secret mm. and try to be in denial mm. about it. Because most people are going to check in and they're not going to experience anything. Mm -hmm. Let's be let's be realistic, right? You know, but every blue moon, and you know, according to the staff at the Pierpont Inn, the uh, one of the one the credible ones that I talked to, they were saying that you know it comes in cycles. There'll yeah. be like maybe two three weeks where no one reports anything, and then suddenly it all starts happening. Yeah, for about a month or two, and then it quiets down, and then it starts up again. 
you know, so... Um, I wonder if it's something like you, you had suggested, that something's stirring them up, maybe some something that triggers uh, maybe a clothing or dress or music. It's, it's also right by the ocean. I mean, if, yeah. you're, if you're going by environmental and energy factors, there okay. could be certain times of the year. Like the moon, maybe, the tides, right, some kind of energy. Right, right. Uh, you know, most... Apparition sightings are early in the morning, but not like we're talking right around the hours, around the time daybreak. Like, remember, I threw out, I said much earlier that I threw out all of these, you know, superstitions. Like and, it only happens at night. Right. Or 3 a.m., right. the magic 3 a.m. hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to others that have been doing this a long time. We're all in agreement. The 3 a.m. hour is probably the quietest hour where you're not going to get any paranormal activity. Huh. Uh, besides the fact we're on daylight saving, so are, do you expect ghosts to set their hours <laughs> forward and back right. at 3 a.m.? Yeah, I mean, they're not checking is, their watches. What does that mean, right. 3 a.m.? I mean, um, this was done back in what? That was done in the medieval times by a, the Catholic Church. They put in that magic 3 a.m. because everything's in threes. Did you they? Know? Is I that? think so. Oh, think interesting. So. Uh, I'd have to look into it yeah, yeah. again, but it seems to me I'm kind of going by information stored somewhere. Sure, I hear you. I and, do that um, all the time. So uh, it doesn't matter who started it. It's just, it's fluff. Right. Most people that claim to have seen ghosts are like opening up. They've just woken up and they're getting ready and they, they see a ghost or they've just opened up their store, their restaurant and the ghost. They see the ghost before the store opens or the restaurant opens. How often is it that? How often is it someone who maybe is in between sleep or sees a shadow or, you know, there's some other realistic um, explanation for what it is? Credible, not not credible, I, but uh, there's another explanation for right, what it is. It's called waking dream mm-hmm. is when people wake up and they think that they see like a ghost at the foot of their bed or sitting in a rocking chair in the room and then they close their eyes again and concentrate and they open it up and they're gone or something like that. Uh, yeah, non-believers try to write off everything as that. Um, anytime you make a broad generalization, you're practically wrong. You know, I mean, you could pretty much take it to the bank. And again, that's a another theory that can't be proven one way or other in a laboratory setting either. But I do think there's some truth to to their theory that waking dreams are responsible for a lot of apparition and that they're not really seeing a ghost. They're mm. in a various stages of waking up when it happens. However, to whitewash all of that, millions of claims through the years, you know, um, millions of people in the world that have claimed to have done this is hard to take yeah so you know i always say take it on a case-by-case basis know the person who's telling the story of you know do they have a history of seeing things do they have a you know a history of uh chemical abuse whether it's natural or in the inside that they have to take drugs to correct Mm -hmm. or is it something brought on by drugs right as well so um take mushrooms and see it's possible but the but the other theory is that you know there's a lot of energy at work when the sun rises Mm -hmm. the temperatures change dramatically you know i always found that around five o'clock is when it gets coolest in southern california you know that's almost like where the fever breaks you know especially in the summer Mm -hmm. uh if if you go outside in five in the morning and it's 
the same temperature as it was at midnight and it's not cooler, then you know you're in for a scorcher of a day, hmm. you know. Um, I think that may be what could trigger paranormal activity, but I, I don't necessarily know that, that uh, I just think that that time of the morning, there's just, it's just prone to happen. There's a lot of chemical reactions sort of that Envi- are happening, just environmental things, reactions. Yeah, and there's a lot of energy. I mean, water carries energy. Uh, like, you know, um, temperature changes, you know, require energy to enact. Um, we're not necessarily talking like, you know, uh, electricity that turns on a light bulb. We're just talking about things that can, you know, the wind. Right. We use the wind to create energy. Energy. We've learned how to use water to create energy um, or transfer energy from one source or another. Um, but it may be that those energy changes. And, and I think it's all fairly scientific-based. Yeah, a I'm lot not, of factors that we might not understand. Right. Or, or do not a, understand. Yeah, I always say that we'll probably accidentally prove that the paranormal exists while searching for something else one day. That's usually how science discovers things. They're looking for something else and then this thing happens and then, you know, they start looking into it and and something opens up. Um, You know, skeptics didn't believe in microbes at all Uh, and, you know, completely belittled anyone that did and then they accidentally, scientists accidentally discovered them that they did exist. So it may be one of those kind of cases where Mm. it exists. It's just that um, science, not a lot of money has been pumped into that because it's not consistent. You don't, you'll never get consistent results at this stage. So it's not really worth putting in a lot of money until we know how to make it consistent or we understand it Mm. and have absolute proof of it and, and know how to make it work in mm. our benefit. I wanted to ask you one last question regarding um, photographs that allegedly prove or suggest that time travel exists. And I wanted to see if you knew anything about that. Like, have you heard of these photos where there's a guy on a cell phone that was taken in 1920 or uh, these anachronistic type images yeah, I don't believe in any of that. You, I, you know, again, it, it goes to, I'll, I'm going to sound more like, a, you know, the non-believer believe here. There was one that went viral several years ago. Uh, it was a footage of a woman walking by the Chinese theater uh, during uh, Charlie Chaplin screening. And it looks exactly like she's talking on a cell phone as she's right. walking past. But that one got debunked. Yeah, but all of them are are pretty much are like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, she was on some because uh, they were a, filming a movie and it was some device, right, that they were was, using for the movie. Am I right a, about that? I think she just had a listening device of that day because okay. she was hard at hearing. Oh, okay. Is that and, what it was? And, and that's the best they could come up with. I mean, it was blurry. The whole. I mean, she's just walking through right. an, an extra, and it was on like a publicity film for one of the Charlie Chaplin re-release compilations of his films mm-hmm. and it's and no one paid any attention to it until some paranormal guy saw it and got a lot of got his 15 minutes of fame you know doing this and it's so funny how many people will fall in line because the power of suggestion is very strong and 
I try to stay away from that. Uh, and in fact, I, I'm quite, I've seen it in action way too many times. Uh, power of suggestion. All you have to do is get a, a group in a haunted location and just say, did you hear that? And at least half of them will say yes, even though there is no, even though there was no sound. I mean, you can just put that plant, that seed and they go for it. And there's a lot of fakery due to that. um, Once you understand how the power of suggestion works. So I, I really, I resent that when I see it in others and, uh, and I try to avoid it, but sometimes you do have to say, did you hear that, <laughs> if there is a sound? Sure, you know? yeah. But this, like people want to believe in these things. Yeah. And, and they look for every reason, too. And the pictures that you see of people looking very modern or doing something or holding something that looks modern. Yeah. Something, and it's mostly a cell phone, usually. Right. And uh, those are the ones I see. I'm like going, oh, it looks cool. I'd love the idea of time travel. Right. I'd love for it to be real. But if I had one superpower I could pick, it would be probably, you know, kind of Doctor Strange style yeah. um, time travel. Because you can't screw with anything or else you screw up the whole world, right? Right. Uh, I've read enough H.G. Wells stories <laughs> to know that, you know, you just don't, you right. don't, if you're going back in the past, don't even disrupt a blade screw of grass. time space continuum right. and everything's screwed. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you know, step on a bug and suddenly it's Pence that's president and <laughs> Trump is vice president. Right. You know, anything can happen. Right. Your mother could be president, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I think there, there's more validity in that. So, therefore, I, I, I have a hard time believing time travel. Mm. Uh, but I hope it does exist. Uh, science, I've always felt, has been trying consciously or unconsciously to look God straight in the face. We're trying to, you know, become God. We're trying to, in in order to understand it. That's why we're trying to understand how to create life, how to cure diseases, how to live longer, um, trying to understand space, how the universe was created. We're trying to understand uh, what it would be like to be God, assuming God exists. Do you think it's dangerous if you get too close to that goal well that's what the whole message behind the tower of babel story in the bible that that is the allegory i mean they were trying to build a a tall building that would reach heaven you know uh and god destroyed it and made everyone start speaking different languages according to the you know old testament story and um but that was the metaphor that was the allegory uh, in the Old Testament is don't try to do that, you know, or God will get you. Um, no, I think we should, but you know, everything is going to be dangerous for everything. I think what Walton Whitman said was pretty much correct that everything we gain, we give up something Mm. and we are giving up an awful lot in the gains that we have. And, uh, of course I'm paraphrasing him. He was much more eloquent than me. Uh, anything that I can say, but I do see it every day. You know, we'll make an advancement on something and we end up losing something in return somewhere down the line. Um, So, yeah, um, 
I don't believe in the time travel photos per se. I don't look into that. I, I and I stay far away from UFOs and Bigfoot stuff, mm-hmm. even though that all gets lumped into paranormal. Mm. I think it's a distraction if you're if you're into just finding out if ghosts exist or not, or if there's any merit to the notion that ghosts exist. Uh, I think you should stay with that and uh, and not get into the cryptology and looking for you know the lost minks of mesa arizona you know it's uh save that to the people that are interested in that Mm -hmm. because they're going to be pretty lousy at looking for ghosts Mm -hmm. because they're using a completely different criteria if i everything has a disclaimer if i'm out you know, looking for a ghost and I come across Bigfoot instead, I will change my opinion <laughs> and my view, you know. Right. Until that happens, uh, right. keep it separate. Yeah. For instance, I've never, uh, that's what, when people ask me if I've ever met an evil entity or whatever. Right. And I said, well, no, not that I'm aware of. I mean, I've never encountered a demon or an angel. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not sure I believe in them yet, but I, when I do, I'll let you know, and I'll change my mind. I'm perfectly open to changing my mind if I do. Yeah, keep an open mind. I think that's uh, yeah, yeah. important to do. Yeah. I think this is a, a good place to, to leave it. Sure. Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about or mention that I didn't bring up? Uh, well, no, I, I can say that uh, Haunted by History, uh, Volume 1, it covers what the Hotel Del Coronado, the Julian Goldrush Hotel, the Mission Inn, the Alexandria Hotel, downtown LA. It's not an active hotel, but it was LA's first five star hotel. And it's probably the most fascinating building in, uh, still standing in Los Angeles. Then there's the Pierpont Inn in Ventura. I, we talked a little bit about that. The uh, Banning House Lodge on Catalina Island and then ending it with the Glen Tavern Inn in Santa Paula. So it, it focuses on Southern California hotel. It has that Southern California has always had that mystique, um, that few States have in its entirety. Los Angeles, uh, California has in its Southern area. Um, I'd love to move on to other things besides Southern California, but it's a good place to start. And and I actually believe that people from around the country have bought this book, you know, re- whether it's Florida or Ohio or whatnot. But I always say that it's not necessarily about Southern California for Southern California. If every responsible paranormal group in their state were to do what I did as far as due diligence on the history thing, it could be, it would be great and people would finally understand because what people who've read my book what they get from it is they have a better sense of what is haunting there mm-hmm. versus what they think or what they've been told to haunt they actually have a very good understanding of what it is and how it got to be that way and it well unfortunately I'm almost saddened that it's only limited to Southern California because there's so many places out there that desperately need this kind of revisionist look Mm. at the property to determine what is real, what isn't, and start shaving off the 
uh, urban legends and starting over. Mm. Now, volume two, when it comes out, it's going to tackle the Queen Mary. There's a lot to say about the Queen Mary, and I will say that almost every book, paranormal book on the uh, Queen Mary has something wrong with it, historically or even paranormal-wise. So I work very hard to try to get uh, as honest an, uh, an opinion on it and to support this with facts, hard mm. facts. <clears throat> so it will rile and anger people probably when it comes out because they're so conditioned to believe a certain way mm. about this ship or former ship that they're going to be, no, no, that can't be true. You know, no, uh, but it, it is, and it will be very factual and very enlightening to those that really care. When do you expect the volume two? Uh, that's a good shelf. question. You know, I held on, I've held on to this for over a year because I wanted to make sure enough of volume two sold to, to even make it worthwhile. So, uh, it's getting to that number where I'm happy with, um, I'll probably do it in limited, uh, supply and I'll probably do a, a GoFundMe or, or Kickstarter just to have an idea of the interest and the the number to print mm -hmm. so that I don't uh, end up overprinting or hopefully under, I don't want to underprint either. Right. So to Kinda gauge that, yeah. Hit the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, with this one, you know, it was my first book. It uh, surprised me. It surprised a lot of people. It got the Publishers Weekly Star Review, which was like unheard of. Mm for uh, an indie publisher to get because I beat out a lot of the big boys in the publishing to get that star review. Nice. And, uh, and so a lot of people do regard it as the Bible of, the, of, on, of their paranormal books on the shelves, and that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be the Rolls Royce of uh, paranormal books. Uh, it's pricey, but you get... Get what you pay for. You you get more than what you pay for. I made sure of that, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I did not want this to be a vanity piece whatsoever. My photos help, but the information, you know, it was six, seven years of research to make sure that people got an honest appraisal. Mm. And uh, without... So if you don't believe in ghosts at all, you're going to be happy with the book because it gives you plenty of ammunition and facts and stuff that you can talk about uh, among your circles. If you're a believer, you're going to love it too because it's going to kind of help reshape and think about what to believe and what not to believe mm -hmm. without belittling or, with, you know, it, I'm on your side, you know, I am a believer. Um, but it, it helps to clarify. And if you're going to go ghost hunting, it, it it's very helpful to do that. For instance, there's a paranormal. There are various paranormal groups. This will be the last thing I promise. <laughs> but there are various paranormal groups that they have this mentality like, don't tell me what's haunting. I don't want to know anything about the history. I don't want to know anything about the ghost. Uh -huh. We're just going to come in and we will tell you what we find. Okay. And they think that this is the way to be. And I think this is the worst thing. I mean, it's like going to a surgeon 
And the surgeon says, don't tell me what's ailing you. Don't tell me. Uh-huh. I'm going to figure I'm gonna, it out. I'm going to put you under. I'm going to cut you open. And I will tell you what's wrong <laughs> with you. You know? Right. It's backwards. Uh, yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. You need to know what you're getting into. You need to know the history. And no one knows. There's, there's never such a thing as knowing too much, even history-wise, because there's a lot of gaps. And usually that ghost or whatever is intelligent energy, if that is, in fact, what is there, uh, it, it most likely, uh, probably 8 out of 10 times, it's going to be something that you're not really going to come across. Hmm. But you will have a sense of what era they're in. You'll have a sense of, uh, sometimes you will find out who it is. I mean, literally, you will, you will know. Because it it fits the psychological profile of the person you researched. Hmm. Um, puzzle pieces, yeah, fit sometimes together. The, the pieces fit perfectly together. Sometimes not, but it'll give you a ballpark idea, and you'll have a much better idea of what it is. Don't rely on psychics coming in because eighty-five, ninety percent of the time, whatever they pull up is wrong. And this comes from a guy that ran down and researched them all mm. on 16 hotels you know um it it, it was uh frustrating because I, I if i could find a psychic that was consistent and correct i would praise them to the moon i just don't find them hmm. so it's always best to back it up with facts you'll have a much better understanding and uh so my advice to any paranormal groups that may listen to this is do your research don't go in there blind. Yeah. Um, Be critical and don't believe everything. Critical that you thinking hear. skills are, are, that's where you get scientific. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't rely on like electronic devices say, I'm doing scientific. No, you have to put the thought process behind it, the critical thinking behind the uh, instruments. Read Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted uh, World. Is it Demon Haunted World, Demon Haunted Planet? I always <laughs> screw it up, but it's a great book on critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, and he he's a non-believer too. Mm. You know, he was a he was a non-believer, and uh, so therefore he was wrong, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> despite his critical thinking skills. But uh, no, Carl Sagan's a great guy. <laughs> uh, that's a good place to leave it. Carl Sagan's wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a soundbite. Yeah. Um, no, this was great. I think we could probably go on for a few more hours, and maybe possibly uh, if you have some availability, we could do a part two at some point in the future. Um, but I'd be was, happy to. Yeah, this was a great discussion. And um, uh, Haunted by History on Amazon. Uh, BazaarLA.com will always be cheaper than Amazon. Okay. And plus, I, I get to sign it. If you If you order through Amazon, you're just getting it from Amazon. You're right. going to have to chase me down. To get me to sign it, mm. but if you order through my website bizarrela.com, I can I I sign all copies and uh, mail them out myself, and so cool. um, I even do the packing, so I make sure that they arrive safe and sound. Oh, that's awesome! So you get a signed copy; it's cheaper, and uh, uh, yeah, usually if by a few dollars yeah. and whatnot. Cool, um, and also sadhill.com. Uh, sadhill.com is just more or less my photography site. It doesn't sell, I don't sell books on that. I do have an Etsy shop for international buyers. Uh, That's the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just called haunted by history. 
um, and I will sell you not used books per se, but they're books that kind of write slightly bent, you know, from the the printer. Mm-hmm. Something that I, I would feel uncomfortable selling it at retail, full okay. retail space. So I give it at a discount. I'll still sign those too. Cool. But yeah, they have the best international rates. So if you live in Japan or Australia or Canada and you're listening this to this broadcast and you want the book, then that's your source. I, I recommend Etsy because I haven't figured out a cheap way to mail it any other way. Nice. Yeah, it's not cheap. No, it's not. Um, again, Craig, thank you so much for coming in. This was a, a, a conversation I really enjoyed. And um, sure. yeah, I, I would look forward to possibly doing a part two. Okay. Well, go. yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was a blast. N- next time I'll bring my EVPs. and That'd be cool to try out some of that gear. And yeah. we'll and and li- and you can listen and we can just talk about it. Yeah, you know, because some of them are quite clear. That's one of the things that I can say that my photo sh- shoots did do is when we did collect. I don't call it evidence; I call it data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I collect data that supports the theory that the paranormal exists, um, it's loud and clear a lot of times. I mean, mm-hmm. some of it's shockingly good. Um, so I, I really do think that the photo shoots that I do and the practice of the theory of familiarization actually works more than it doesn't. Awesome. Craig, thank you sure. again so much. I had a blast. All right. Well, until next time. All right. All right. Bye.